So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. What's up, everybody? It's Thursday, uh, June 1st. It's Mike Hearn's birthday, so everybody uh, tell uh, Frodo Baggins happy birthday. Uh, he's a solid five, four and a half. Um, he kind of sneaks in five, five. But anyway, it's Mike's birthday, so when you guys listen to this, make sure and message him. But I have a cool crew on the mic today. Um, I've got Kurt, is it Gamash? Am I pronouncing that correctly? It's Gamache. Gamache? Yeah. Is that like when you put an E on the end of Joe Dirt, where he's like dirt? It is. Yeah. 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 It's, it's American. <laughs> put an E on the end of it. It's pretty cool. Uh, so Kurt Gamache? Yep. Um, from uh, Born Primitive, just getting out of the Navy. Just getting out of the Navy. Starting to work for Born Primitive Outdoor. There you go. And then uh, I've got Joe Cadle, who also works for Born Primitive and does video for Levi Morgan. Yes, sir. Uh, and then Micah Morgan, uh, Levi's brother, um, and Joe and Micah were both on the hunt with me, Levi, and Justin Hanna down in Texas. So what's happening, Micah? Oh, not much. Just surviving the week. <laughs> so uh, these these three individuals just got back from a, a bear hunt here in Wyoming. Um, who's going to give the, uh, the the after action report? Who? Uh, what happened? I think Joe's the, the most charismatic and talkative of the bunch, so <laughs> default to him. <laughs> well, all right then. <clears throat> yeah, so we started off, Kurt and I, you know, planned this trip a few months ago for uh, for Born Primitive. Um, one, just to get outside of, out of the work and uh, and hang out, but then two, obviously with Micah being here, we needed some content around some new products. So I thought we'd plan a bear, a bear hunt, and uh, we actually originally were going to go with Kenneth. Um, who I think you wound up sending up to Alberta for a bear hunt. Um, but Kenneth had gave us a spot down next to uh, to Alpine for a good starting point. So Kurt being Kurt planned where we were going to sleep every single night, what the food we were going to eat every single night was, all the water points, extraction points, everything that you could imagine uh, has been planned for the last three years for Kurt. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> we got Micah involved and we flew in, what was it, Saturday? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah flew into Jackson on Saturday, got a bite to eat, and then uh, headed on down to Alpine. And uh, you know, it was off to a rough start to the beginning. Yeah, uh, like a typical, like a typical good hunting trip. Uh, we're, we're rolling in, and Kurt takes his spot to where he's, you know, he, he, we're going to park. And uh, there's a there's a rain cloud. I mean, the rain system looks like it's just rolling in. And there's there's 800 side by sides coming out as we're going in. There's just side by side and dirt bikes and side by side and dirt bikes. So I'm I'm looking at them like God. There's a lot of people back here. Well, Kurt takes us up, and there's a, a Lexus parked there, and the road stops about two miles short of where Kurt thought it did because there was a gate up and it was locked. So we're all sitting there, and I'm like, "You guys want to go somewhere else and check it out, maybe?" Kurt looks over. He's like, "Ah, it's not that bad of a walk." And I'm like, "Man, it's straight up the mountain. We, you know, we can go somewhere else and find, you know, not in the thick woods." Kurt's like, "I don't know. I think, I think we just kind of give it a try." I'm like, "All right." Well, out of nowhere, we we get out and we, we start changing and uh, getting everything packed. And here comes this little little tiny dog down a trail, and uh, you know, a female hiker comes out and she, she hops in her Lexus and goes. So from that point, we're like, "All right, well, I guess we got to go." If she's been back in there. We're, we're going. And we can see this storm rolling in. I'm looking at Micah like, we just need to wait. 
We just need to wait. We don't need to go. But nobody's saying anything because we're all ready to go hunt. We start hiking. We make it, I don't know, what, six minutes maybe? Maybe. Maybe six. Yes, I think it's about right. Maybe six minutes and pours. Just a storm opens up on us. <laughs> and I'm I'm like, you guys, we're, we're 300 yards from the car. We could just go back and wait this out. Kurt's like, no, no, no. Let's get the rain gear out. Let's just keep going. Get the yeah. rain gear out. Cover up the packs. Let's go. And I look at Mike and I'm like, Come, say something. We're 300 yards from the car and it's absolutely <laughs> dumping. Like, there's no point in this. Nobody says anything. So we all put our rain gear on. Getting so we didn't get it all all out of the bags because it was packed in the bottom. We're getting soaked. We walk up 500 yards and uh, and pull off camp there for the night. And that started it. Yeah. How long did it rain for? An hour and a half, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. That it, happens out west. Yeah, it was one of those like alpine showers. It wasn't just like a little sprinkle, it was just yeah. unloaded. Were you guys like totally exposed? Like no uh nothing to go hide under? Yeah. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it was it's that's why I told Kurt, like, let's just go back to the car, maybe wait it out it a was, second. Yeah, no, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. <laughs> I mean it sucked. It, it definitely dumped on us. We were hiking through snow too on that trail. That's why that's why the gate was closed. It yeah. was, the, the road was pretty messed up. Um, but, but long story short, we wound up in a big horns. We didn't like that spot. Wound up in a big horns. That's where we spent the last four days. Got there day two, found a bear, and she was two miles away. So we uh, packed back to camp, packed up camp, walked around to her. Man, you're really pushing forward this story. I feel like you need to draw this out a little bit more. Oh, we have plenty of shit to talk. Don't worry, I do this as a profession, so I, I'm a professional <laughs> bullshitter. <laughs> well, Kurt, go ahead. What, what am I missing there? <laughs> No, I, I feel like we could go into a little bit more detail about uh, how that was down at Alpine. Like, I think we had a, we had some good satellite imagery. We we checked out some spots that we thought were going to pan out really well. And then when we got up there, it was just. It was thick. It was thick, really thick. Um, to the point where, you know, we needed to cover a lot of ground. We needed to glass a lot of ground and we just couldn't find a spot to get that done, at least in the area we were at. Um so we were kind of panicking a little bit, trying to find out what would be our best course of action. And um, that's when we hit up Dustin, Dustin, um, buddy of yours. And he kind of pointed us in the direction of the bighorns. We were, we were contemplating. I had a, I had a little bit of a difficult time with it. Cause I knew like, I was <laughs> like, man, we can get this done. We should stay here and just get after it. Like we're all fucking hunters. Like let's just grind it out and we can find a bear here. Um, but I'd never been bear hunting, uh, to caveat. So this was my very first, very first backcountry hunt, very first bear hunt, very first <clears throat> Western bow hunt. Cause I took my bow. Uh, so a lot of firsts for me. So a new experience, but I was like, you know, we can get after this. Uh, I got some great mentors with me, some really experienced. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm like Kurt cause Kurt, he did struggle with it. And I was like, listen, we, we've got a spot on the road here. Or we've got, you know, Dustin had dropped two glassing points. Said, go here and glass. Right. In the bighorns. Yeah, in the bighorns. And I was like, we can either drive and try to find our own glassing spot. Yeah. That's fine, but we've got limited time. Or we can just drive six hours and go to those glassing points and, like, have a at least a little bit better starting point. And, and that's kind of where I be, started to become okay with it because I was like, we could be walking around these mountains down here in Alpine for six hours trying to find a spot trying to find track or, tr you know, something, some sort of sign. And, uh, <laughs> 
And um, we could, we'd be spending our time doing that and maybe not find anything, or we could just drive six hours and go to these known points that, you know, this guy said would pan out. Um, so we made the, the latter decision. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, um, what? <laughs> so I, I, um, I, you know, obviously from the 30,000 foot view, um, I become a little bit lazy when it comes to black bears. Like I have, I, um, been lucky enough to shoot a few. So I, you know, I don't put as much effort into that as I probably should, unless it's a really cool experience, meaning a badass hike in, you know, maybe some fishing and in, in a, a spot, but like wandering through the woods, looking for bears is, is a lot like pissing in the wind. It's, it can be difficult and uh, not saying it can't happen. Right. I mean, we don't want to skip too far ahead, but you guys almost got eaten by a lion. So that happened, right? That, that could happen. But the thing with like bears, it's weird. There's going to be certain, once you find a spot, that spot will be good every year because it'll you, generally, it's like really nutrient rich, rich, lush grass. And so like I, I had, I think I told you yesterday, there was a spot that, that there were bears, but I was very upfront, like, Hey, it, it is a long ways in. Um, but like the bear thing, it's, it can be kind of addictive guys really get into it, but the high country bear thing, it, um, you definitely have to be ready to be mobile because once you spot them, like even like packing up camp, cause they go in and out so much, like it's a risk to kill any time, um, you know, to get back on them, unless again, you are moving camp and just waiting on top of them. But like the moment you see them, if you're going to commit, it, it's definitely a mad dash to get to them before they head back in. But you guys saw a few, is that correct? Yeah, we saw four. Yeah. What's the closest you got? 2,080 yards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when we first saw it. It was, yeah. a, it was just one of those sheer chances. Like we had walked to a new spot, pulled my binoculars up, and in 10 seconds it was like, oh, there's some bears. And I think at that point we were like, oh, shit, we're about to be in them. Like they're, they're going to be everywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it, it it wasn't like that. Right. <clears throat> and it was, a, it was a quite a bit of a scenery change too because out in Alpine we were probably sitting around 6,000, 7,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moving up to the Bighorns, at least the spot where we were at, we were on average 9,500. Do you guys yeah. notice the oxygen difference or lack thereof? I think the first two days uh, was a big notice. Um, I could yeah. definitely tell hypoxia was setting in for me a little bit. <laughs> I just needed to take it easy. Uh, and I was just very open about some of the symptoms I was having just for awareness. Like, hey, guys, like, like, I, I think it, it's just helpful to talk about that so that everybody knows. Let's just take a wrap off. Let's get acclimated before we start really pushing hard. I've been lucky about that because I... This is the lowest in altitude I've lived in probably two decades. Um, I think when I hunted with you guys, I was at, my house was at 10,000 feet. Oh, yeah. So I was not fun to hunt with at high altitude because I take Zero fun, sir. Yeah, I take for granted that, you know, yeah. like, you know, I just, I and I've never been like, um, I never had any altitude issues, altitude sickness. I've been over 16,000. Um, some people are more you know, they want to cut their head off when they get over nine or 10,000 feet or they're more susceptible to it. Um, I've been lucky enough with that where I I don't, but I've seen guys get hit with it and, um, yeah, it didn't look fun. Uh, did you guys get headaches at all or anything? I didn't really. I did yesterday, but I don't know if it was from, uh, all the pain that my thumb was in, the lack of sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, it was just, uh, kind of like labored breathing. And then I could, I could definitely feel, um, some like visual symptoms where like that, the outer edges of my peripheral vision kind of were, get, were getting darkened. Um, so I've been through an, enough situations where I was aware that this was setting in and uh, just knew I needed to take it easy. And I was coming from sea level before coming out here. So I knew that was a, 
a potential issue. Um, and we just kind of planned for it and took steps to mitigate it. Yeah. It's weird in reverse. When I went to Alaska a couple of years ago from living at 10,000 feet, I was like thinking I was going to get a migraine from too much oxygen. Cause I was like, Holy fuck. This is nice. Like I'm not even breathing hard. I'm not sweating that much. This is a whole new world. Cause it, it's just, it's, you cannot tough your way through altitude. I mean, you can, and then get yourself in deep shit, but like, yeah. you know, you can't breathe when you're not getting oxygen. It's just, it's tough. And, and some of the, like, like here's a big jump, but the mountains get super high here, but like at 13,000 feet, it's really like when people come to hunt at that altitude, they really need to take a day or two. Some yeah. guys, even a few days to acclimate and get, get prepped or even go up in altitude, like, you know, stay in a hotel one night, hike in a ways another. And yep. of course I never do any of that shit. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm horrible to hunt with. Cause I'm like, I will be fine. Let's go. But you're a good adult. Is I guess what I'm saying? Kurt's, yeah. It, it comes with, with practice. He's a very yeah. good adult. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that, that was one thing I learned about Kurt on this hunt. <laughs> Prepared is an understatement. So are you a, like a planner? I would say I, preparedness at a, is at the forefront of my mind, not just in hunting, but in every aspect of my life. Yeah. I, I I've hunted with planners before. And like the worst thing that can happen to a planner on an elk hunt is when they bugle at camp. Cause it fucks their entire plan of the day up yeah, do, like, or do a predator call at camp. That's <laughs> kind of fucked up. Too. <laughs> Are you guys blowing predator calls at camp? Do you <laughs> haven't, you haven't heard this? No, we did not blow it at camp. Let's just, let's just, it was, let's okay, just it jump was 30 to, yards from camp. Let's jump to the guts of the story. It was 30 yards. <laughs> we want to talk about the mountain. Yeah. Let's, I mean, well, let's, let's get to there. Cause we, we had some interesting shit happen before that. Um, Go ahead. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, we talked about going up to the Bighorns, spent our first night trying to get, just get a lay of the land. <clears throat> Found this, this peak kind of off in the distance. I think it was like five or six K away. Um, thought it'd be good to glass the valley. So we went up there and that's when Joe pulled up his minos and like three seconds later spotted a bear. So we were all obviously excited at this point. We're like, holy shit. Like he saw a bear within three seconds of pulling his binos up. Like they're all over this fucking mountain. Um, so we kind of came together, came up with a plan. We're like, yeah, obviously we have to go over there. Um, we knew the hike over there was going to be a little bit hellacious. I think it ended up being somewhere around 12 miles total uh, of us maneuvering to that spot. That sounds absolutely fucking horrible for a bear. Yeah. No, <laughs> but we were, all, we were all stoked and motivated and ready to get after it. Um, I felt bad a little bit for Micah because, you know, he's filming and stuff and he, he's just going to have to be along for the ride. <laughs> I'm yeah. used to it. I promise. Um, so yeah, we made the call and went back to camp, packed everything up. That was one thing. I mean, we'll get to that, I guess, but we got really efficient with breaking down and setting up our camp in uh, like really 15, 20 minutes. Like, yeah. Cause we moved camp quite a bit, trying to maneuver on these bears. Um, so yeah, we made our way over there, found a new spot, probably about, five to 800 meters away from where we saw the bear. I don't know if that was too close, um, but it ended up not working out. We, we sat at a really good spot of that kind of bowl where the bear was seen and where the four bears were seen um, and just kind of burned that, <laughs> that terrain for <laughs> like two, two to three days. Yeah. But trying. the hard thing, it was a good spot, but the hard thing you were, we were, Instead of glassing into it, we were glassing from the side, yeah, so from an angle. So it really wasn't. I mean, there's a couple different directions she could have came or went, or a bear could have come and went. We'd never seen it. Yeah. So obviously, it'd been better to be on the other side. But 
that was 2,000 yards away. It wasn't happening. Even if we could have gotten probably midway up the mountain on the other side of the valley to glass across, it still would have been, you know, a thousand yard plus shot, which obviously isn't going to happen for Joe. And I'm definitely not taking that with my bow. So yeah, we, we, we had to get close and in, in, in the terrain where the bear was. Um, and it was just, we were looking for tracks. We were looking for sign. Didn't see much up there at all. So, um, yeah, it really, and I'm sure everybody's experienced this on their hunts. They get into the point where you, you really start to get in your own head and you're like, fuck, should we move more? Like, should we go somewhere else? Like, um, it was, it was tough. It was. So we decided to move probably a bad move, <laughs> but we, we did it. We were like, Hey, this isn't working out. We need to find another spot to glass from where we can see more of this hill and, you know, from the side to where we could still take a shot um, or we could stalk up to it, at least for me. And the original game plan was we were going to, we were at 95, 9,600 feet. Aaron Snyder. Uh, I, I panicked. <laughs> Put this motherfucker on ghost mode. Sir. Uh, it feels like the panic. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> we, were, we were at 9,600 feet and the idea was we were going to drop down the valley, down to 8,400, then climb up to the other side just a little bit to glass. Um, thank God we didn't, we, we wound up getting to a certain point. It was like, Oh, this is, this is a good glassing spot and it gets pretty steep. So let's just, let's just camp here. And that was where we wound up, you know, the last two days we, uh, we camped over on the edge of the rocks. It, it, yeah, it turned out to be a phenomenal glassing spot. We, it was like a side view of that entire, um, ridge or side of the hill, uh, where we had originally seen the bear. So we could see that original spot and then we could see even more down lower at like you said 8400 near the the bottom of that valley um so it's on an elk and mule deer though oh my wow. god a ton yeah. a lot of bulls yeah mm -hmm. yeah i'm saying so crazy bighorn might be pretty good this year so i'm guessing um like this was your first time out here yes right whatever I'm, well, Micah, you've been all over out here. Yeah, I've hunted the bighorns quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, is this, have you been out here before for yeah. bear? Yeah, not for bear, no. Yeah. So have you, any of you shot a bear? No. no. Filmed no. them. Yeah, I know you've been around. <laughs> okay. um, so like what the, what was the what was the plan as far as like, you know, some people with the bear thing, obviously I just make all mine into burger or whatever, but like uh, were you – I'm only going to this because you're a planner, right? And I, I wing it, which is bad, meaning yeah. – did you guys have a processor figured out? Did you have like, what were you going to do with the hide? Were you going to try to just, you know, freeze it and then fly it back in your checked bag? Like what, what was the general idea? Or were you guys going to wing it if you got one? I think my game plan was take it to a processor and yeah. just give it and they can ship it all back to the house. Yeah. Time. On the way up there, um, on our six hour drive, we had time to talk about that. So we, <laughs> we chatted about where we would drop it off. Um, who, what would we, what would we do with the meat and, um, you know, I had some plans for the hide, uh, either getting a rug or something made out of it, but, or a cloak. That'd be fucking sweet. Like Jon Snow. You're so primal. You know, I know. <laughs> yeah, if you guys want to take home a bear hide, <laughs> I have plenty of fucking house that my wife would be more than thrilled with if you... <laughs> <laughs> I fuck people are like, why aren't you hunting bears this year? And, and uh, whatever, I'm not, and I'm not saying this for like, I've been able to go on a lot of hunts and a lot of hunting 
bears in British Columbia or, or over a bait is a lot different than a Wyoming bear. <laughs> like you're fucking killing something, right? There's no, when I say that, I mean, and so going on some hunts with a guy named Jeff Lander in, in BC, like you'll roll up to a grassy field. There's 10 fucking bears. <laughs> I mean, it's not like shooting that you got to hunt, but I mean, you just, they're just fucking everywhere. Right, right? Right. You go to a deactivated road and walk up it. And if it has grass on it, you're like, Oh, I better knock an arrow. There's probably gonna be a bear there. But the one thing, like the different types of bears, like a a high alpine bear is going to taste great. You get to a dump bear, right? They're, they're eating garbage and shit. Um, salmon bears taste bad. So like, obviously, if you guys got one, um, yeah, best case scenario, right? That's what you want to have is a higher alpine bear. When they're eating berries, they're pretty good too. Have you guys ever eaten bears as I'm talking about there? Oh, yeah. Never. No. Um, I'll give you some. Um, are you coming back to do this again? Because... The mo- and I'm only bringing this up, like for the listeners, the monetary, the the cost of this hunt in comparison to maybe hunting something else. Was it because you were cabin fever, wanted to get out of the house, get some content for BP, do a Western hunt? Would you go again or would you say, fuck that, we're going to go elk hunting or so I'm going to save my money and go mule deer hunting or something? I think I think the cost really wasn't that much. It was the the license and the tags and then you know, obviously the cost of the flight and everything to get out here, but, um, the cost of the hunt itself was pretty low. I think Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think, would definitely do it again. I think I would, you know, obviously an elk hunt or something like that, I would much prefer, but I think at the same time, it was nice to, you know, I've been turkey hunting down in Tennessee the last few months, but it was nice to kind of get back in the mountains and kind of kick that off. Um, so it, it feels like a jump start in the season almost a little bit Yeah, to kind of get out and yeah, do this kind of stuff. Coming out of winter, it's yeah. like, it's like springtime, you know, you want to get your senses back in order. Like you're coming out of a kind of like a sluggish season where there's not much hunting going on, you know, maybe duck or something, but it's nice getting out in the back country, at least for me. Um, and just kind of like jump starting that, that like primal nature of, of the hunt. Yeah. I, I, I only bring this up obviously, cause like some, like guys will come hunt a bear maybe where they're going to draw an elk tag, right? And and to, to scout. Um, but, you know, the other thing too is like like fishing, right? If you're a fish molester, um, backcountry fishing is pretty cool and you can scout as, as well because it it is a, a, a big task to take on, especially with a bow, killing, killing a black bear. So, if you were to if you were to do it again, and I was like, "Hey, got you guys want to go like backpack four or five different lakes, and we'll do a big loop for five days, and we kind of scout this area out, see if we see any bears, or would you like fuck it, I'm going bear hunting, fish or gay?" I think I'd be open for either, honestly, because yeah. like I said, it's just more about getting in the mountains and kind of kicking that thing off, and you know, now you go yeah. home for you got a, a month or two of rest, and then antelope season kicks off. Yeah, are you much for fishing? I mean, I'll do it. But I think That's there's something more. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of a <laughs> no. There's something more appealing to me about getting out and hunting a predator who could fucking eat you. Here, here's what I learned about Kurt. I'll say this: the, when he, because he's never on a backcountry hunt, and I was like, "So, Kurt, what, what was your expectations?" Because I think there was a little bit where, <laughs> you know, you're sitting down glassing a lot of the time. You're not really moving a bunch unless we're moving camp. You're just sitting down looking. And Kurt's, you know, I called him the wanderer because he's just kind of like over here. I look back at one point and he's walking down the road, hitting left and right, looking down at tracks. And I was like, what did you, uh, what did you I'm think? in scout mode at that point. And he's I'm like, looking for signs. He's like, I don't know, man. I thought, I thought we would like find some tracks, see where they're going, follow, follow him, him. Yep. go to the den, kill him. Yep. Yeah. The Be, den, the, uh, yeah. the, 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 the 
in BC, you can do that, right? And uh, in certain places, and I've, I've I killed a bear in Idaho that way, walking up deactivated roads. Um, there's a lot of fucking luck involved in that. Like, I've been really lucky with that because, like, you can, you know, in BC when they're in the rut, they, you know, they're walking nose into the wind. And you can walk them down. Like you can, you, when I say that, you can drop to socks and they're so, they want pussy so bad. They're just sniffing the whole way and you can walk right up on the back of them. The crazy thing is, is on a big bear, if you blow it off, you can huff it back in, right? You blow it out of that. You can, and they'll, they're like, fuck you, I'm coming, which is why I hunt bears in black, right? It works well where Wyoming is not like that. Like you're glassing hours and hours and hours. And with a bow, I mean, if you're hunting them in the high country, as you've seen, right? Yeah. You got to be pretty dynamic on the movement. If you oh, can yeah. get to a closer glassing point and close that distance, it's 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 way more doable. But you don't see a lot of high country black bear archer archer right. archery hunters. It's yeah. just it's difficult. Yeah, I knew that was going to be tough going into it. I mean, Joe had a couple conversations with me. Uh, I was like, "Are you sure you want to take your bow?" And I I knew it was going to be tough. I knew there was a very high chance, you know, with two hunters going on a black bear hunt, that we were going to have to do a rotation where like if we were close, like maybe it's my shot or, you know, maybe it's his shot. So, um, I knew the likelihood of it happening was going to be very low, but I think the, would I, I just very much preferred to take a bow to, to get closer to the animal. Uh, I think I just needed that uh, aspect of the hunt, um, to kind of just, just feel closer to it. Um, I, I've killed a lot of things with, with a long gun and I just I wasn't interested in doing. Oh, nice! I'm just looking at a picture here of shaved, oh, shaved yeah. head Aaron with yeah. a, with a black bear and his neo Nazi Aaron is what that was. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, you're right. It's 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 cool, really, because you had how many days out here? Six, six days. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, which six days is a lot. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean. Obviously, you guys have a pretty good idea for next year, you know, what you may, you know, want to do as far as areas or whatever. But uh, one of the things that kind of screws you guys is without a resident, you're pretty much stuck yeah. into the national forest. Because I had given you a spot and yep. you were like, hey, we can't go in there. We're not, uh, you know, we're not, you know, we're not residents, which I, you know, obviously now being a resident didn't think about. But um, with gear wise, was there anything you guys change around? Uh, I wound up wearing the Frontier Light pants the entire time. Yeah. Um, I think when we first started, I just had Frontier Light and nothing. Then once we got up to Bighorn, got a little higher, I wound up putting our light base layers on. Yeah. And had Frontier Light. Um, and then that new quarter zip that's coming out, that thing was it was really impressive. The, the Ridgeline quarter zip? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, I started out with the Frontier Light as well. They were great. And then I knew going up to the higher altitude, I just switched out to the heavy pant. Um, I wasn't running a base layer underneath them at first. Um, and even when I switched to the heavies, I knew even at that altitude, uh, I think the temperatures ranged anywhere from low 30s all the way up to probably low to high 60s during the day. Yeah. Um, so the, I like the versatility of that, that Frontier heavy pant. So when it got hot, as we we're moving out, they have hip hips in, uh, hip zips in them. So I was just unzipped them, vented the heat as we were moving. And then, you know, as we sat down and we're glass and just zipped them back up to, to hold the heat. In. So th those were great. Actually, while we're talking about that on our fishing trip where we hiked into, uh, obviously it's a shameless plug, but, uh, the dude that I was with, you guys are going to meet in a bit. He had, um, um, pants from, uh, and they don't have uh, mesh in the leg for the hip zip. A poor fucker had seven ticks on his legs. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> he messaged me. He's like, 
do those BP pants have mesh? Check your legs. Oh, yeah. So, I, you know, I got home and did the full ass crack spread with my wife. I'm like, fucking Wally had seven fucking dicks on when you check me out. But uh, that's a big one. Uh, you know, certain spots this time of the year, um, you know, your whole body. But obviously, if you have those hip zips, they come right in when you're busting brush, the ticks do. And yeah, he was yanking them off him all over. I got lucky I didn't get any on me, but I pretty much this time of year only run the heavies. Um, you know, just for the, obviously, especially like where we're at in, in the winds, the, 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 I mean, if I get snowed on us when we were fishing, right. Yeah. And I mean, so I, I pretty much wear the heavies and I don't really like wearing long johns. So I'm either like hot weather wearing the lights or moderate to cold wearing the, the, the heavies. But what about, uh, other gear? Like were you guys pretty dialed as far as stoves, headlamps, shelters, shit like that? I would say Kurt, Kurt was. Yeah, you know, I pretty much. I'll, I'll preface this. I knew going to the trip, Kurt was the planner. So <laughs> as I'm getting everything together, obviously I'm trying to eliminate stuff to bring, and I'm like, Kurt, what are you doing for water? And he's yeah. like, well, I got a filtration system. And yeah. I was like, You got two of them, or what? <laughs> and he had two. So you know, we we were, I think you know as a group we were really dialed. But I will give most of that credit to Kurt as having a lot like the fire starting stuff yeah, yeah. and and the water filtration, <clears> which. Yeah, for me, like wilderness, self-reliance, preparedness, <clears throat> survival, all that stuff is like a, a giant hobby of mine. Uh, I've been through the, the Pathfinder School, Dave Canterbury's survival course uh, a couple times. And um, yeah, so I subscribe to the the 10 C's of survivability that that he, he pushes. So that that's pretty much everything that I took out was covering all of those 10 C's uh, of survival. But, you know, minimizing it to a point where it's like, I want all my gear to be multifunctional. So my cook system was a stainless steel bottle with a, a nesting cup. Um, and a, a few of the times I was out there, I ended up, you know, boiling water just in the fire. Um, but yeah, for purifying water, we just had this Sawyer squeeze filtration system that, you know, fill up the bag with dirty water, squeeze it out into a clean container. Now you got fresh water. Um, I think I'd prefer that over something like a SteriPen, just because... Um, before we go too much farther, yeah. I'm going to read the 10 C's of survival, survivability because I'm going to get this fucking message a lot when people are uh, like, what gotcha. are those? Okay. All right, so uh, the first, number one, cutting tool, combustion device, cover, which means shelter, container for water, cordage, cotton bandanas, cargo tape, compass, Cloth, sail, needle, candling device means a headlamp, yeah. a light. Yeah. Did I get that? Cool. There you go. All right. Yeah, yeah co it. and co covers like all inclusive. So that includes the the stuff that you wear as well as your shelter system. Me and Micah kind of subscribe to. We'll just kind of figure it just out. Just wing it. Wing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. But you know, I've just I've done it like long enough now that like. Mm, I've written articles about this, but you have the poverty level of backpacking which is i'm broke as fuck but i want to go in the woods and i'm just going to carry heavy shit and then you get more money and then you have the gadget like overpacking where like oh i need this soap where what i need this new lighter weight toothbrush and oh shit there's a solar panel and and generally which you can appreciate this right every backpacking trip you're about to go on is based on what dick kicking you took on the last one right yeah, yeah. so if your last one you froze you're going to carry too much shit. Right. But on the next one, you have like a 12 mile hike in with 4,000 elevation gain. 
you have a new dick kicking of carrying too much shit. So the next one, you're probably going to go too light. Right. And then, so you have this kind of whole system to where, and people like what we were talking about, which I think we can talk about this with bear with the rain gear bear had some crazy backpack trip or back military rock march. And he had, um, uh, non stretchy rain gear. Right. right? So he really wants like a four way stretch rain gear. And he's basing that off this one, you know, we, and bear has fucking legs the size of our bodies, yeah, right? Yeah. Bear's a big dude. He's basing it off of that now, in which there's nothing wrong with that. And that can happen of where you wear really ultra lightweight rain gear and you bust brush and it gets shredded. You're yeah. like, fuck, I'm carrying heavier grain yep. rain gear. And then the rain gear doesn't come out for four fucking seasons. Yeah. And you're like, fuck this. I'm carrying it for no reason. And sure as shit, the moment you take, so there's like a happy medium yeah, yeah. and people, are you a spreadsheet guy? Are you a this uh, way's this? I'll do it if somebody else has already prepared the spreadsheet. If not, I'm just kind of like write it down in my notebook. Gotcha. Like that's what I did with the food. I, I planned it all out. I weighed it. I calculated the calories, but it was all done in my notebook. Like I don't, I don't want to fuck with computers. Yeah. Kurt sent, mm-hmm. a, Kurt sent a picture to me with his food all laid out. And I, I literally, I sent it to Mike immediately. And I was like, <laughs> I think we're underprepared. This, <laughs> is like, this is like two weeks before the trip. Because he sent me the all- calories and the weight. And I text Mike and I was like... Uh, how many calories are you going to eat today? <laughs> Mike is like, I don't know. And I was like, I don't either. Yeah. yeah. Well, with the more you do it, obviously, when you guys come over to the house, like I don't have to prep shit because it's in my garage, right? right. It's, it's ready to roll at all times with everything. But like, you know, when you're in poor, right, you can't just have an excess of food. Like I've been broke as fuck most of my life. So you can't just have an excess of backpacking food when you can't afford dinner, right? right so right. now I'm a little bit luckier, but like, you know, once you kind of get everything dialed and you do it enough, you have the exact shit. Like, I don't need a packing list. I've just, yeah. I know what's going in, but I forget. And we were talking about that earlier, and which is why I'm asking this. When you first come out, like if they, if you wouldn't have had Kurt, let's say, or, or you guys got into trouble or, or didn't have fire starter or whatever, like you will, it's like touching a stove. You will never fucking forget the mistakes you, I've almost killed right. myself trying shit out. You never forget. Um, I went, the ultra lightweight kind of deal where right. guys are wearing, you know, like alcohol stoves and quilts and almost fucking died. And I yep. now will never ever run a quilt again, but uh, I'm talking too much. So anyway, go on the gear. Did you base this off of research or some of your military background or, or survival classes or what'd you? Yeah, it was, on? it was all that as an example, like for the rain gear, I, you know, like I said previously, I like all my shit to be as multifunctional as possible. So I didn't bring traditional rain gear. I brought a military poncho. And it, it was just like a standard, like dark green. So it wasn't like a camo one. But, uh, and the reason between, before that, it was like, now I don't have to carry a pack cover because as I'm humping out and it's raining and, and this is what we did, I pulled out my poncho, threw it over, it covered my pack. My bow was on my back or in my hand. I had my bow under the poncho and, you know, moving out, I took it out. Um, as we went and kind of like glass, some of the areas, I put that poncho in a little butt pack system that I had. Cause I, I didn't want to carry that, that big rock everywhere. Um, so I put it in my butt pack and then it started to piss on us a little bit as we were glassing. So pulled out the poncho and set up a little tarp shelter, uh, with that thing. So it's just, you know, that, that is his gear list definitely fucking crushed your guys. <laughs> There is no, no question. <laughs> and, um, he was wearing necklaces that was gear. I got them on right now. Yeah. yeah. I, I, a, so I got, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't even remember who makes these right Let me now. See that one. So the, one of them is a whetstone. Yeah. So I was sharpening my blade with it out there as I was using it. And the other one is uh, kind of a combination of a, of a ferrocerium rod I, and, a, and a striker. You know what I would challenge with that? 
What? Have them build a fire with that thing because I've tried and I obviously have three fucking thumbs. That thing, I've had that it's one. It's tough. I yep. can't fucking do it with that yeah. one. I can't. I, I can get it to, to spark for sure. I, I literally, it's like a monkey with the Rubik's Cube with yeah. me in that thing. Like I ordered that. It's badass. Yeah. So I have the... And I don't wear that a lot, but I keep it in my chest rig. Yeah. So I think if the ferro rod was maybe just a little bit larger, it'd be easier. I have the uh, the one that screws into the other one on the back end, okay. the striker, because yeah. um, you can wear that as an as a, as a necklace. Right. But you know, a lot of people buy this shit and then never. I'm gonna go grab my Copenhagen. Why don't you talk about your experience with building a fire uh, with a ferro rod um, or a flint and steel or whatever you want to call it? Yeah. It is fucking not an easy. Have you fights fucked with it? No, uh, no, but I watched him. Watched him. Yeah, it. but like, if you have to practice, I would. Yeah. You it dive in. You have to practice. Yeah, so I mean, about the rain. The, you know, you're doing that in the rain because that's pretty. Oh yeah, it was that first night. It was yeah. raining. Yeah, yeah. So that was up. I'll just tell you real quick. My survival. I I carry a trioxane tablet in a bic because I'm a I'm a bitch. <laughs> and and that's that's the thing about fire. It's like you want to have multiple sources of fire. Uh, fire starting. Um, so from a bic lighter to matches. You want to have, you know, fire extenders. So I, I ended up uh, carrying a few things with me um, for fire starting. Obviously, I had a big lighter. Uh, got a, I had two ferro rods, so the one around my neck, and then uh, like a big six-inch one that I that I had um, in my butt pack. Uh, See, so yeah, I had some fire water waterproof matches. I had um, this is another one for solar ignition. I had my um, Suntu. MC2G compass that has a little magnifier on it, which, which you can use to ignite char material um, to start a fire. So like multiple ways to do one thing, uh, but all those things also function in, in, in other capacities as well. So um, for the fair ride, it was, it was relatively easy. You know, it, it was raining that first night and we were like, Hey, we want a fucking fire cause it's cold right now. Um, so I just, we collected as much tinder as we could. It was a little bit damp, um, but Another thing that I carried with me is a piece of fatwood that I had harvested, and and fatwood is uh, kind of like you you would harvest it. I mean, you can buy it from the store um, to to start like chimney fires or whatever. But um, you know, you find a, a some dead wood, a pine tree that that has fallen down and has been down for a while. Then you just go to the joints or the trunk of that that pine tree. That's where all the sap kind of you know goes down and accumulates. You cut it off, and then you got like, kind of like a deep reddish. Um, brown um, section of the wood that is just saturated with that that pine sap, uh, and you can cut it off. You'll smell it. It'll smell like turpentine, and you know that's the stuff you want to use. And then when you go to build your fire, you still have your wet tinder, and then you can shave off uh, a bunch of this fat wood into it. So as you put your ferro rod down and throw sparks onto it, that fat wood will ignite, and as that fat wood's burning, it's drying out your tinder that's wet. And then, you know, you just kind of start stacking, you know, your kindling and everything on uh, after that. So, which you guys aren't in a hurry because I can see we're going to, he and I are going to go off the deep end on survival. So um, <laughs> go for it. Okay. So with, there's a few, I want to rewind. So there's a couple really well-known uh, Canterbury being one and then Tom Brown being another. Yeah, yeah. I strongly suggest not going to Tom Brown's uh, school um, personally for or paying for it. Um, thank you for anybody that has gone and loves the course. That's great. Um, as I understand it, I have not been to Dave's. Um, his is a much more thorough course. Have you been to both of them? I think? Yeah. So I ended up going to Dave's course as uh, an individual and I went through the intermediate course and because I'd, I'd had some survival training previously. So I kind of skipped the beginner 
course, I was like, yeah, I'm fucking good enough to go through this thing. It won't be too bad. And then I went through it and I was like, man, this was, and at the end I was like, man, this was much more of a dick trigger than I thought it'd be. Um, it, it was beneficial. I, I passed it and everything. I got a good patch out of it. Um, but it was, I thought it was going to be a little more kind of like a good boys, like survival school. But, um, that intermediate course was definitely uh, a shock, but it was good to go. Um, I would highly recommend his courses for that. I haven't done shock. Like around. I need to get my shit together. Shock. Like it was week. shock. Like I was like, okay, I got here. I got all my food prepped. I got all my shit, all my 10 C's, you know, I'm just going to go, you know, it, I thought it was going to be more of a, like a mentorship, like teaching, but it's expected that when you go there that you already know all of this stuff. And then he just starts hitting you with deliverables. He like, you need to build court, the six foot of cordage you need to. And then he starts taking shit away from you. It's like, you have your backpack, but then you know, he takes your backpack away and then you have to make a backpack out of, you know, natural materials that you find in the woods. And then, you know, you don't have any cordage. So now you got to harvest the material and make your own cordage. Um, you have, but you've never done that. You haven't lived it. it I'm not a fan of yeah. that myself. And if you have, <laughs> you, he takes all your fire starting material away. Now you have to do a bow drill fire and then you can't, you can't drink water until you start your fire with your bow drill because you can't purify your water without, you know, starting your fire. So, uh, it's just like, constant things like that and you're up until like if you can't get the deliverables done like you're going to fail the course you can still finish it but you just won't get the patch out of it uh and you're sometimes you're up until like 2 3 a.m trying to knock out all these deliverables before you start your next day and on top of it like it's kind of land nav intensive so you're like going through these land nav courses like collecting resources at these different points uh to to knock these things out so it's you know it, i didn't expect that yeah and i mean I, I'm kind of in the middle now where I talk a little shit about both sides of the fence, right? And when I say that, meaning, uh, yeah, I don't fuck with the uh, feral rod. Any, I have one, right? Yeah. But I don't I don't practice it as much as I should. But I bring two other primaries and then yeah. my secondary. Um, you know, the, the thing with some of this stuff is, is like, um, you know, people will go off the deep end on the, um, the doomsday prepper right. uh, bush craft shit. Right. And then, you know, the, the thing is, is the happy medium is, is honestly a lot of common sense. So, you know, whether it's using debris around you or knowing what to do, like if you get stuck overnight without your camp, what to do to stay warm, like shit that's applicable is right. what I'm really pushing now yeah. applicable to backpack hunting. So if you get stuck without, um, you know, stuck overnight, I'm a big fire builder. So like one, I'll get inside my bag, right. If I have, um, Let's say I have game bags. I'll wrap those around my legs as many as I, or a couple of those around my legs. I'll put, get in my bag, my, my backpack bag. I'll tighten that around me to close some heat in on my lower extremities, especially my feet get cold. Um, you know, puppy jacket, everybody's got on, but then I try to soften up the ground to, to, so I'm not losing so much heat. Yeah. But the other thing, as I build a fucking five foot white man fire and I put a pile of wood with, by you and me. So when we start to freeze, we wake up, stoke the fire. So we stay close to that. Um, the best thing to do is just not ever get in that position. But when you went as an intermediate going through this one um, and, you know, you got the, the the badge, were you knowing your history, right? Were you thinking maybe I should have come to fucking level one uh, or were you like, I, I got this? No, I think um, I think level one would have because I, I didn't really do much prep as far as like survival skills prior to doing that, I would not successfully done a bow drill. I've built them. Uh, I just hasn't, haven't been able to like actually get that ember, uh, to start a fire. 
Um, so I think doing the beginner course would have given me more reps, um, to, to prepare for it. But I think with the, the level of training that I had, I was able to complete the intermediate one pretty successfully without, um, without having gone through the beginner. Uh, I think it would have been helpful. Uh, but just for me, I'd, I'd, it was not necessary. I think for most people, I would suggest going through the beginner course because I, I was fortunate enough to have a lot of reps in the past uh, to, to get me that point. We need to get Kurt on a loan. Yeah. Yeah. That'd yeah. be cool. Yeah. We've actually <laughs> talked about that on this trip. I, I can tell you, I can, I'm going to make some calls. Um, you should go. Yeah, the big thing for me on that is uh, I really like Copenhagen and caffeine. Yeah, no, that I would be, you. that would be a problem. <laughs> I <Right>. think <laughs> it would be, it would be cool. Um, but Kurt's like, I've, I've, I've actually applied six I've, times. <laughs> I've been on a lot of deployments and I just, that's not some, I don't want to just like take myself away from my family. Leave again. Again. Yeah. It's not, yeah, it's not about the money. My wife doesn't like me, so I'm good there. Uh, it's, it's just the caffeine and the Copenhagen. No, I, I got four kids, though, and they're like six oh. years old and, I, and I'm younger. And, you know, they're just, they love their daddy right now. And I just don't want to do that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you would do pretty good. So did, did uh, you guys like, uh, Joe, you're looking at me funny. What are you thinking? Spit it out. No, I'm just, uh, I've been taking all this in from Kurt over the last six days. And it's just. Mike and I are hunters. Like we like to go out and hunt and we'll figure it out. And Kurt showing up was like a different level of like, yeah. you mean you didn't bring this? Yeah. It, it, oh, I got, yeah, I got my nav devices. Like, and that was another thing, like spotting that bear from across the the way. It was like, okay, well, how the fuck are we going to know? Because the terrain's going to look totally different when you get over there. Like what and you that, thought that was, was that, that was a prime example of like, yeah. you know, we saw this bear and me and Mike did what we typically do. It was like, She's two thousand yards away. There's that rock. Drop a pin. We'll make our way yeah. around. Kurt so, was like doing math. To yeah, I pulled out. out my compass, got the resection. Oh. I knew the distance. I plotted it on the map, and I knew exactly where that point was, so that we weren't guessing and going to a wrong ridge or that something. Class I just did is all about this. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's what I'm saying. If you want to start helping out with them, range it, distance, yep. azimuth, back azimuth. Put a panel up where you are, or have a very known terrain feature to shoot the back yeah. azimuth. Um, and then honestly too, like you can actually get a fairly good idea of, um, your, your altitude, like as far as even a rangefinder shooting yeah. at that, if it does altitude, so, you know, if it's a 10,800 topo line, rather than gaining and losing ground, you can just watch your watch and, uh, the altitude and s stay on that topo line. It's a simplification the entire way. Cause like, if you set your tin up. And people have trouble wrapping their head around this at 9,886 feet. If you stay at that altitude and you know it's west, you actually will eventually run into that fucker within reason. I mean, when I say that, if you're close, meaning you're 400 yards away and you don't know where the tent is exactly, but you did know the altitude of that tent, you will within reason run in or get closer to that tent where it really screws up people is that difference in altitude. And there's a lot more to it than that. But that whole class we just taught was... All, all of what you're yeah. talking about. Cause I've gotten there before I did that and been like, Jesus, fuck, am I even on the right spot? Or when some asshole shoots one at a thousand yards away. Um, when I say that meaning maybe they shouldn't be. <laughs> and then you go over there and you're trying to find a blood trail and you don't even know yeah. if you're remotely fucking close to where the elk was standing. Right. Right. So that back asthma helps with that. Yeah, no, for sure. Did I, you learn that? Figure that out on your own? Yeah, I did. 
So what, what, what? I just have this innate manly, like just masculine <laughs> knowledge. Mm. I mean, the back asthma thing, was that, was that something you were like, oh, this just makes sense from your previous experience? Yeah, yeah, just from, from previous training. It's just, and that, that's a skill set that I maintained for the past, you know, 16 years. So you guys learned a lot then? Yeah. Yeah, honestly, sure. really did. It yeah. was, it was, a, I mean, it was a fun trip because I, 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 I mean, outside of hunting with you, you know, Levi, we hunt in Levi in different kinds of situations, but I'd never hunted with someone from like a prep situation yeah. like that. So yeah. it was, it was a lot of learning. Yeah. yeah. We were, I think for navigation, I was using, I, I have Onyx on my phone. I pay for the subscription and, you know, it was good, but I think there's a lot of features that it's missing. Maybe the average person doesn't need, but for me, I was like really upset with, you know, that app not having what I wanted. So I ended up switching to something, uh, something else um, that had more functionality. Gotcha. Um, I think cause like right now I'm working actually with Spartan Forge for things missing. I don't know how much great detail I can go into that, but for things missing. Yeah. And that guy actually worked with, with what you used in the military. He yeah. helped with that getting okay. that going. Um, that's actually Levi uses mm -hmm. that too. Um, he, he did ATEC, so he, he, okay. he worked with that. But the things like what we, I'll give you an example. You just said it on this class we just did. I was like, okay. And, and we, we do mock scenario stocks just visually. Like, mm -hmm. okay. And I walk them into a point. And I'm like, that rock is a deer. How will you get there? Right. Well, I'm going to actually put a pin on it on Onyx. And I'm like, no, there's no fucking way you're going to be able to get that accurate. You, you can't. Not accurate enough to be within three feet of it. Yeah. Back asthma, you can. And... Not not saying that, you know, Spartan Forger on any of those are bad, but it's not as accurate, in my opinion, as, as a man like shooting an azimuth and a back azimuth. Go into that a little right. bit, like with your experience navigating yeah. and how that applies from a GPS to an app to manual land nav and a map. Um, so, and again, it's all like you want to have layers of these systems. So I had, I had my Garmin inReach that has map information on it. I had my phone with my, my, my device, uh, which also has navigational features on it. I took out a Garmin 701, uh, little wrist, um, GPS as well. And then I had a compass obviously. So, um, but if you were going to pick one, what would you pick? Honestly, that's hard for him because he's always got a secondary. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> tough because it's like, you know, you could always lose your compass and then you're kind of fucked. So, you know, my big thing is preparing for that site. So doing a proper map study, understanding the terrain, what direction does a valley go? Where are your outs? Like if, if all shit goes to hell, and this is something I, I told Joe and Micah, at least about the first place that we were at, it was like, if you lose everything and we get separated and you don't know where the fuck you are, like, don't freak out. Just, you know, it's a, it's a narrow, uh, there's a, there's a valley on one side and there's a river on the other side. It's pretty far away, but you know, it's better than going North and South. It's like, so your, your emergency, your E and E directions are going to be East and West. So just find East, find West and start heading that direction. That should be really easy because the sun is going to come up and or go down in one of those directions. Um, and it was very similar <clears throat> for this one. So I, I guess I'd say my primary is doing a good map study, um, making sure that you know what direction that valley goes, because that that's not, that's obviously not going to change. It's always going to be north and south or east and west or whatever it is. Um, so you can find your direction pretty easily um, from that. Uh, secondarily, um, obviously, it's going to be a compass. Uh, <laughs> 
He's, he's doing some some photo ops here. Um, and then I think I would rely on my my GPS uh, as my like tertiary option. Um, I I didn't I don't like to use my my navigational tools on my phone uh, as a primary. But where that's helpful is, you know, if you don't want to bust out your map and plot your route and then you know measure that line, that's where kind of like dropping a route and building that route on your device is nice because you can get that data back to your, yourself faster without having actually having to do calculations. Um, Are you guys getting bored? Probably. No, I like it. Um, so, I'm, I'm an introvert as fuck and I don't really talk, but I find myself right, talking right, a lot yeah, right now. Yeah, it definitely no, seems no, like it. Definitely it's seems better like than me talking because people are tired of hearing me talk and you're saying the same shit I do, so it's fucking perfect um, within reason. I don't carry as much now as I used to on because I was... Honestly, because of testing, I was tripling up, right? So I had my inReach and then EarthMate, which isn't great. Right. And then, of course, you have a, a phone. And then I'd have a GPS. But I, the two things I always carry is a 601 or a 701. And then, uh, fuck you guys. And uh, the, the Sunto M9 wristwatch compass. Okay. I have those two on me all the time. A lot of times in the ultra lightweight communities, obviously throwing in some digs occasionally because I, I will actually have a signaling flare compass in my pack. But I have that M9. Mm-hmm. The reason I do that and, and when, when you get more comfortable with nav, which is one of the reasons we do these classes is speed, right? right. So once you learn handrails, backstops or whatever. So if, if I know I shoot at, let's say there's a giant peak behind a bear, it's 2000 yards away. I know where I am within reason, uh, enough to get close for a secondary eyes on so, to make the approach that, that M9 will get me enough to where I can just pop a quick azimuth get a couple of handrails or a handrail in a backstop enough of one right. to, to move out quickly. Um, especially if you're just trying to get ahead of elk, cause I'm not getting a pinpoint they're moving. I'm just trying to fucking haul ass and get in front of them to where I don't need to keep eyes on them. I can watch them move or I see into the direction they're moving. I'm just trying to haul ass, but you get into timber, you get pretty fucked up quick. Yeah. Right. And, and a good example of that, why don't you talk about how much you can drift off of an azimuth once you put your compass away, like right-handed shooters drift or right-handed people. drift. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's sometimes referred to like as a phenomenon, but it's really like lateral drift as anything. So lateral drift can come from the terrain. Uh, if you're on a slight slope, you're, you're going to obviously, um, start to work your way down. So if you're not being diligent about shooting your azimuth and then picking a known point in the distance and navigating to that point, you're going to naturally drift. But yeah, like you said, if you're right-handed, you're going to naturally come up to an obstacle like a tree and you want to go around to the right side. And maybe that's going to shift you off a little bit uh, more to the right. So you have to be very strict about like alternating that as an example. So know that if you always go around an object to the right, like you're going to be offset your lateral drift is going to be greater to the right. So, you know, be aware of that and then you know, occasionally go around to the left of an obstacle. Um, and, but I think picking those those points in the distance, those objects to navigate to, when you get to it, go to the other side, shoot another azimuth and continue going. Is One of the things to add to that, so when you have like magnetic bino harnesses, yeah. um, when you, which I'm, I'm obviously not a fan of, but when you shoot an azimuth um, and you're, you're off, it's, uh, if you can look at it this way, the amount of, if you, if you are off on that azimuth, um, when you, when you're shooting something. So w- when you put a four foot level on a, uh, six or a 3080 door and that four foot level is off three sixteenths, it's almost double that in the full length of the door jam. 
the same thing is with an azimuth when you're drifting off in a thousand meters if you you are off three degrees right. you would be 300 meters off at a thousand no 30 anyway whatever you can do the math math and shit um yeah so but the, the bottom line is the farther you go and the more you drift off that azimuth or you shoot it incorrectly in the beginning by the time you get over there if you're trying to shoot kill a deer you know it, it's which Micah, you saw like we were down in 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 Van Horn. Well, both of you guys, you know those things are everywhere. But coming over the top of one of those and making a shot, or many of the hunts Levi's done, or you guys have both been on. Um, you, you, when you go to make that final hundred hundred yard in in approach, actually walking into that animal, you if you're looking left twenty yards and he gets eyes on you from the right because you you know having that pinpoint direction is is huge when it comes to killing an, an animal, especially when it's in its bed, which you'll never find that with a bear. Yeah. But all that comes into play with what we're talking about. Yeah, and you talked about the, the magnets on your body with your bino harness. Like, that is going to affect your compass mm-hmm. significantly. So, and, you know, that'll even affect your GPS compass if you're you know using it to navigate magnetically. It's going to, it's just, uh, it's not good to have that. You're going to have to take it off if you want to shoot a, an azimuth and then continue rolling. It's just kind of annoying, which is really nice about the Kifaru bino harness all the magnets are gone like you don't have to worry about that yeah that was a big one for me i was showing guys in the class like i was holding it three feet out yeah and then just bringing it in slow and the more powerful the magnet the the, the worse it gets but did, did as far as takeaways as he and i are going off the deep end on on this stuff what did you guys take away from this um this trip yeah i could probably be a little more prepared <laughs> you know, I've survived this long doing how I do it, but uh, I mean, there's probably some some ease, some easier yeah. ways to 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 make it more fun out there. I think that's what me and Mike were talking about. Like most of these hunts, like they're a good time, but it's also a grind. Like it's a it's a kick in the teeth most of the time. Um, and I think some of the things that Kurt was doing and doing uh, would probably make life a little easier uh, to sustain out yeah. there and, and have a little more fun and not just be such a grind 24/7. Yeah. Yeah, and what about you? Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting for sure just cuz there you go. Um me and Levi's pretty redneck, so we don't know that much other than just trying to kill something. <clears throat> so it was it was cool to see Kurt's side of things. I bet I was underprepared 100%. <laughs> <laughs> uh well when you talk about un- underprepared, you can also obviously be overprepared, right? And so that's the thing with gear lists. Um, one of the things I let people know, if you've done four or five trips or even one trip, when you get back, lay out three layers, what you used a lot, what you used a little, and what you didn't even think about grabbing. Generally, that stuff can come out of the pack. When I say that, if it's a med kit, don't pull that out of the pack. But there are certain things people bring that – make no fucking sense right and, and so for example people are like oh, i cut the handle off my toothbrush i'm like oh i go hard in the paint fuck that toothbrush i don't even bring one right like you know yeah i again my teeth will probably fall out when i'm 50 but um it's one of those things where it's a it's a weight game and and you know you're you're gonna you're gonna pay the tollman you're gonna pay it in pain or you're gonna pay in pain meaning missing it or you're gonna pay it in pain packing that shit in yeah. and, and and obviously leaving survival out of it so the two, the two, the having everything you, you bring in your pack, multiple uses, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing too, multiple different items carrying batteries and the batteries being different, right? That's another big no-no. Um, 100 calories per ounce per food. That's another big one. 
uh, clothing wise, like I go in with what I'm wearing and generally an extra set of socks, maybe some extra undies if it's a 12 to 14 day or, but it's almost anticlimactic for people. What's your clothing list on a 12 day hunt? And it's like fucking, you know, fits in my pocket. I'm like, well, I, I've got like a quiver fleece. I got a puffy. Uh, I got rain gear. I got a base layer and I got an extra set of socks and I'm fucking rolling. Yeah. Like, well, what do you do? And I'm like, I wear that shit every day. And mm-hmm. if I have an off day, I'll fucking wash it in the creek. I, mm-hmm. I smell like a fucking dead onion in 14 days. I can tell you that. But I don't want to carry it in. Right. And the thing that you find out really quickly is when you when you have good high-end gear, you can get away with a lot more than you can with lower-end gear. Um, one of its one, Some of it's comfort. And then, two, like merino wool is expensive, right, yeah. or merino blend. But you don't have to wash that shit. Uh, Merino wool is negatively charged, I guess is how it works, so it doesn't hold bacteria. Right. Um, So when you look at like a nylon or poly Merino blend, um, one, it keeps the funk off, you know, so you're not going to stink as much, which is huge, but also that has a better insulating layer in a lot of ways. And now I don't wear Merino other than a base layer after that. It's all fleece. So what you want to talk a little bit about, I would ask you too, but it sounds like he might be better. Go for it. Okay. Um, (laughs) Talk a little bit about the layering system and what you brought and, and, what you've learned over, over the years. Yeah. So I ended up, um, going pretty, well, I guess I brought, I didn't go pretty light with it. So I, I brought only the, the ridgeline heavy base layer bottoms and I didn't wear those other than to sleep at night. And then I bought, brought the, uh, the new like half zip, uh, ridgeline top light, um, that's, that's coming out pretty soon. Uh, and that I pretty much wore that every day. Uh, I, as my base layer, I never took it off. Um, it was, it was dry. I, I wore that to sleep in as well. And then on top of that, I wore, uh, sometimes a sun shirt, uh, cause that sun shirt we have for born primitive outdoor, it's got, um, UPF 30 on it. Some, some calling going on. Um, my bad. so that, that was good for the, those long exposed glassing points. Uh, we were just getting hammered by the sun. And this is a little bit different too, cause this is a content trip as well. So we had to bring a couple new pieces. So yeah. more than probably more than you would have typically brought. Yeah. Um, and then I think on top of that, my, my mid layer was the quiver grid fleece. Um, and then I had, I just brought the the Tundra light, which was like a light puffy jacket. And that, that served me well the whole time. And obviously my, my rain shell was my poncho, um, that I threw on occasionally when it started coming down. Um, but that, that was pretty much it. Same, same with you. I had some thick, darn tough wool socks, uh, that I wore the same wool socks every, every morning I put them on. I had an extra set that I changed out to at, in at nights cause I knew they were dry and, um, and I slept in those. Um, so that was, that was pretty, it lived very minimal amount of, of gear as far as laying. Like you said, it's like, I pretty much wore everything that I was going to wear every day. Oh, and I had uh, some Marina wool, um, boxers on us. So, you know, I never took those off. Yeah, and, and so when you look at this, the only difference what I explained to people from a four day trip to a 12 day trip, well, other than food, right. Is I may have a little extra fuel, obviously I may bring a little bit of extra fire starter. Um, you know, when I say that I don't go too crazy with that, I will have a minimal amount with me, but I don't, you know, if I, if I see the weather forecast like this elk season, like we were building fires all day long, it was yeah. a fucking monsoon for four days straight. And so I'm a, I'm a big proponent of fire. Right. Um, and so Anytime we get under a tree, we build fire and we would just sit there and, you know, people do worry about that with it blowing elk out, but they're used to fire. I mean, it's not an issue. So like we build a fire, it also helps spirits, right? Like they're, 
you know, it's like, what do they call that? Ranger television or whatever. Yep. Like it literally will help out. Plus it dries out your, you know, your, your shit. So I might add that. Other than that, I really don't add much, right? It's yeah. just, um, you know, like clothing wise, nothing changes uh, at all. The, the extra socks thing, generally what I'll try to do, depending, like you want to have your socks off to toughen up your feet at night, generally, like they'll, it'll dry them out a little bit more where if they're moist, when you get in the bag with, it kind of keeps that in there and kind of turns them into a prune where you leave the socks off in your bag that will help harden your feet up a little bit more and not, or not keep them as soft, especially if you're getting some hot spots. But you, you know, you generally, when you're doing this or whatever, you're not really needing a whole, whole lot. So other than camera gear, like my pack, for this trip we just did was 28 pounds and then it ended up being 48 by the time I had camera gear in. So fairly light, but like the dude that you guys will meet here in a few, he didn't bring a sleeping bag. He slept in his puffies, uh, puffy pants, puffy top and, uh, uh, puffy booties. Yeah. Damn. What are you pointing at me for? Oh, cause you got, we were out there and Joe was getting a little cold and he um, wasn't decided he wanted to impulse buy uh, some puffy cold. pants. I did do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got service for five minutes and I bought some of the black Opus. <laughs> so I, I'm not a big puffy pant guy unless it's extreme. Yeah. And uh, if you're going to sleep in your puffy pants, that's a totally different story. But like, I don't fuck with puffy pants unless we're talking Arctic mountain goat hunting you know, stuck in Alberta on the side of a mountain uh, or a side, you know, side of the hill with wind. I, I just don't bring them as much, but they, when it, when the weather gets cold, it is super handy. And again, it's like, do I want to have the pain of freezing my balls off yeah. or the pain of packing it around? And that's a, a lot of this stuff is, or some of this stuff is a personal choice, right? right, of, right. of, of what you want to do. Yeah. I mean, you talked about the nutrition or we talked about the nutrition aspect that like that's huge dialing in your calories because you're going to go into a calorie deficit. And if, if it goes too far, like you're going to be much less functional out in the field. So like really dialing in your food is important. Um, another aspect is obviously being physically prepared. So it's like, what is your training program leading up to that? Water water too. (laughs) Water is always important for sure. Uh, (laughs) With water, talk about that. You, you, uh, go two days without water, you'll die. You can go two to three weeks without food. So, but talk about the, the water and the food and sleep deprivation. Yeah. So you bonk with food, you bonk with sleep deprivation, and you definitely bonk with water. Yeah. So talk about how much water should somebody take in a day, how much everybody's a little different, what should most people try to take in with food yeah. a day? I mean, uh, I don't I don't know what the generalities are. I know what I planned for was 3,600 calories per day for food. Um, for water, I was um, aiming to, sh- to shoot for like three 32 ounce Nalgene bottles a day, which is not a lot. Um, but you, you find out real quick when you get in the back country, there's like making those trips to resupply water um, is kind of a pain in the ass, but you know, you need to do it. Um, so you really have to force yourself to go do, you find yourself conserving water to the point where you probably shouldn't. You're like, you know, I, I, you're down to your last, you know, Nalgene bottle of water, but that has your, you know, your whatever flavoring you have in there. You know, 
lemonade or whatever this mountain hops stuff that you guys were, were dumping in there. And you're like, but now I got to cook my food and I need to boil water. And this is the only water I have. So now I'm boiling water with this, <laughs> this flavoring in it. Uh, you're like, maybe I should just go and, and get more water. So the way that I um, kind of got around that was I brought obviously one stainless steel um, 32 ounce bottle. And then I had a bladder that was about two and a half ounces or two and a half liters. Uh, so as I went to go ref refill water, I just filled that bladder up, filled up my, my Nalgene after I uh, made sure to, to drink all of it, refilled the Nalgene, then filled the bladder up. So then I had anything that was in my Nalgene is the stuff that I put my, my additives into. Um, and then everything in the bladder, I usually just kind of use to cook with or just to refill as I needed. And then, so we were using the Sawyer squeeze system. So that comes with um, some different size bags. As we filled up all of our water containers, we then also filled up those bags with more dirty water or contaminated water from that water source we, we got it from. And we took that back to camp. So we didn't have to make another trip. You know, we still had some water that we could then uh, filter back at camp. I'm kind of a water bitch. I'll, I'll say it. I, uh, I get water. I'm, I'm always the gopher. Like, Hey, I'll go get it. So yeah. I do a six liter bladder and I don't carry that in. Like people are like, Hey, how much water do you carry in for a four day hunt? It's like like, empty. And yeah. I don't yeah, care shit. In. I carry an algae in, you right. know, and my algae is my electrolyte mix. I'm a, I use element, um, is the one I like for yeah. electrolyte mix. And then, uh, we get to camp or yeah, there's one right there. Um, we get to camp generally, obviously we've mapped out a water source or right before we get to a glassing point, we'll hit the last one. And I fill all six liters up. Um, I use MSR aqua tabs. I drop those. It's one tab per liter. I drop six of those in there. So once we hike up, whether it's a buddy team. So like if, if, if like with us, if Kurt and I were with the one buddy team and you, then one of you poor bastards would have to fill up the six, then that's our water. Hopefully with six liters, three a day, right? If, if we were just sitting glassing all day, that we get to split that up. Um, plus the Nalgene. Yeah. And the Nalgene obviously helps because then it's actually four liters, three of drinking, one or, or half of cooking. So that's a good system to go with. But I do not, I used to pack more water than I should on me, meaning, you know, I would have like a three liter bladder full at all times. And I do not do that. I'm not saying don't, I just don't do that anymore. And I've gotten my filtration system down to, I don't have one. I use MSR aqua tabs right. for everything for weight savings. Um, about how long does it take for those to dissolve for, for the water to be safe? 30 minutes. Okay. Um, now I use a SteriPen a lot for quick water. Um, and then there's a grail filter that I've been using lately. Yeah, I got one of those. And that one is when water is plentiful is what I use that for. Yeah. So like elk hunting, I got that with me 24 seven. Cause I can just sit there. I probably need to take a knee, throw a dip in and I'll just fucking drain it and drink a couple of those. And then as I need it, but it, again, if you're sheep hunting and it's many, many, like you're looking for seeps. Generally what I'll do with that is I'll carry a garbage bag, a contractor bag. I find a seep. I'll prop that up. I'll, I'll get rocks on it. And I just sit, let it sit there for days. And that's my water collection point. So mm -hmm. when water's hard, hard, you know, hard to find. The other thing too, that people don't think about, I carry a one uh, gallon or excuse me, one liter uh, Ziploc bag on my chest and my chest harness. And with that is, you know, cause I, on my chest rig, I have a lot of survival stuff, but it's still small. If I drop down to shoot a mule deer or, or I kill one and I've got a long ways to go or whatever, I get separated. 
that is my that is my analogy now. So I just take that Ziploc, drop an Aqua Tab in it, fill it up, and I can drink out of that bag. Yeah. Uh, you know, when needed. The other thing too is if you find groundwater, fuck that Aqua Tab. I just when it's coming straight out of the ground, I'm just yeah. using that Ziploc. I used to carry a life straw, but I felt like I was sucking on a wiener all the time. My mm-hmm. cooter vein would pop out of my head trying to suck water through it. So I'm like, fuck that. I just that Aqua Tab and. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> um, but again, these are all yeah. systems that have to be tried. You may not be down with that. Yeah. So you got to kind of figure your own thing, but I don't bring a pump anymore. I just, I just, I've stopped over the years. So. Yeah. I think that's where like my system was like when we went out to, to scout or glass was I ha- always had that bino harness on. So you can fit a good bit of stuff in there. And then uh, what really was, was helpful for me was having that butt pack system. It was a, uh, a Helicontex Foxtrot 2 uh, butt pack, which it's, it's Was not. Is there a Niner in there? What, what, <laughs> yeah. what is that? <laughs> that's, that's, that's the model. That's the model. Um, but yeah, it's, it's on, not overly. What is it? It's not, Foxtrot 2 uh, from Helicontex. Um, it's not overly large, like a, a normal military butt pack, but it's not super small either. So I was able to carry my uh, stainless steel water bottle with my nesting cup with its lid in one of the pouches on the one side, on the other side, I usually had, you know, a roll of cordage or maybe my water filtration system. I'll, I'll throw my uh, Sawyer squeeze in a bag in the other pocket on the outside. And then of, of course the butt pack system itself is where I had redundancy fire uh, starting systems. I had my poncho in there. I had usually the day's worth of food packed in there in case we got stuck out there. I So definitely don't buy the, that hella, uh, lumbar pack by the Kafaru one, everyone. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool looking. Do you have a butt pack system like that? I didn't know that. I would use yours. Yeah. We, ours, we don't have uh, the, uh, you have to attach an algae bottle pockets to it. Okay. But yeah, we do. But anyway, go ahead. All right. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that was my system every day. So I had everything on me that I, I would have needed to spend an inconvenient night away from camp had I had, had we had to, you know, I gotten injured or, you know, gotten, you know, lost or whatever it was. And couldn't make my way back. Got mauled so, by a cougar. So yeah. with like, as people are listening in, um, so f- with that, did you use that and strap it around your pack on the way in or put it inside? It was inside the pack. Yeah. So, so like, that's one I like, I don't do that now. So we've, and I only say this, this, this is not a sales pitch. This is a personal choice. I don't run the lumbar pack. Um, with like, we have a Bane lid and it's got to grab it to put your shoes in on a stock or whatever, or our normal lids you can wear as a pack. It, it And really what that comes down to is, is weight. So for me, elk hunting, I have my big pack on me all the time. Like it never comes off. Mule deer hunting, you drop that. I'm not packing that fucker a mile and a half on a stock, right? Right. So then it's the chest rig. I got you. um, Or that that bane. But if I would say like people if want to use a lumbar pack, whether it's that uh, Foxtrot 2 or what we have or whatever, there is a weight penalty to a certain degree with that because if you have a day pack lid, it does hold a little bit more. Um, When I say that meaning... I can put three six liter bladders in uh, a lightweight lid yeah. where I can't as much, but some people like the lumbar pack system. So like with what you did in that lumbar pack system, would you, did you like that? Cause you'd had no weight on your back. Yeah. I like, I, I like the, the added mobility. Obviously the, the, the problem with that is now what if you're pretty far from camp and you do get an animal and you have to pack it out and like you don't have your, your game bags with you. You don't have a way to pack the animal in, in your rucksack. So it's like, you know, that was a, an issue, but it, I was also 
more lightweight. I was more mobile. So I, you know, that was just my consideration there. Yeah. No, I mean, it's good. It's good. Like food for thought because like back in the day, I would actually put a day pack on my big pack, which was stupid because right. it was like an extra five pounds. And then I got to where I, I just have a big pack compressed down yeah. a lot. But then like on mule deer stocks, I put that, well, there's actually a, a guy, he's, a, I think he was a former ODA dude. Uh, he's making now like a super uh, ultra lightweight VS 17 panel. Okay. It's still nylon bright as shit. I wrap that around my pack for my back asthma also to find the fucking thing. Cause I've lost my pack on more than one occasions. And I people are like, how do you lose your pack? Uh, the mule deer hunt on one of those ones on the wall uh, came over with my pack and I had a giant crevice that I had to cross a very pronounced, um, you know, we call it the crack. I dropped my pack in there to make the stock. I would have, I looked for an hour and finally looked back to the glassing point. And luckily Wesley Warner was watching me and I could see him stand up and walk downhill. And I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? Oh shit. He could see my pack. I was 250 fucking yards from it. I'd walk down a ways and look back at him and he would like pronounced walk down. And I'm like, well, I've lost my shoes for six fucking hours before. Right. So that panel, yeah, I can't, it's team Easties. I suggest, you know, people like, how do you use your shoes? I'm like, you think about it. Like we go in on an animal, we're in our socks sneaking in. I hit that animal in the liver. We get super excited, take off, lose our fucking minds. We're like, Hey, let's get our shoes. (laughs) Where were we? Yeah. Oh, that direction. Well, it's a set of fucking shoes, right? It's not, a, you know, it's like right. a set of car keys. So once you lose your shoes, it's kind of like touching yeah. a stove. You find some ways to like, and right. people are like, why didn't you mark it on the GPS? Well, goddamn, why didn't I think of that? Of yeah. course, that's what I fucking should have right. done, but right. I didn't think about it. Yeah. That's what, yeah. And it's, it comes with reps. It's like, as you drop something and that's what kind of that wrist compass <clears throat> or that wrist GPS, the Garmin, uh, seven one that I have, it has a, you know, a button that you hold down, it's called the man overboard feature and just hold that down and just quick drops a point where you're at. So, um, the good thing too, is that thing backtracks to that with a distance, the 701, which is hugely important because one, it's a little motivation that, Oh fuck, I'm still not, you know, 1248 yards away. I'm I'm gaining ground, but I use that feature a lot, but I don't use the compass in that. Right. I go to my M9. So it gives me my direction and I don't, pay attention to that because yeah. the compass isn't overly accurate in that 701 when you're fast moving. I, I have found anyway. Yeah. Um, so the next thing you talked about, you know, we did food, water, physical preparedness, and then sleep. So like so the sleep system is a, is a huge one. And like, hold on before you, before you start talking about this, yeah. what did you have for sleep system, Micah? Uh, well, <laughs> actually Joe brought our sleep system and we bunked together in a tent, a two man tent. Gay. So yeah. how'd that go? I, I mean, yeah, I felt, felt that a few times. It was warm. <laughs> it was. So no, what'd you guys bring for what tent, what bag, what pad, like that type of, type of stuff? Um, for me, well, it's a little different because I have to sacrifice quite a bit with all the camera gear that I have to bring, having to bring enough batteries to last for seven days. Um, had a drone, had yeah. GoPros, everything with me. Um, as far as my sleep stuff, I brought a Thermarest, a, I think it's a Kuyu sleeping bag. And I did bring a zero degree, which maybe may have been overkill, but you never know in the mountains. Yeah. Um, and then Joe brought his stuff. Yeah, the tent was a big Agnes. I think it's a Tiger Wall, two-person yeah. tent. And then I had a Thermarest pad. And then I actually opted. I don't really like sleeping bags. Yeah. I'm a side sleeper and I move around a lot. So this trip I tried a, uh, a puff blanket. I think it was a, a Rambler. 
Um, I'm not familiar with that. I one. got it from REI. I was, it, okay. I wasn't a huge fan of it just because I move around a lot. So I wind up the blanket winds up coming. It's just like at home, you know, the blanket winds up coming off. So I'd like to find something uh, to get around that. But outside of that, I mean, honestly, uh, it was pretty warm. Obviously, we had two two people in a tent. He had a zero degree zero degree bag that was essentially engulfing me as well. Yeah. I cannot do the two-man tent thing. I fucking can't. I don't care if I'm walking in 20 miles. I'm bringing my own shit. I, I've had clients shit in the vestibule trying to get out of the fucking tent. I don't sleep, so I'm pissing off. I can't jerk off. Like, there's nothing good <laughs> other than weight savings. Like, think about it this way, and people laugh at that. Who doesn't wake up with a heart on? Pretty much everybody. And then you're dangling that thing over your buddy, climbing over him to get out of the fucking vestibule. Like, there's nothing appealing about sleeping with a dude in a tent for me. And I used to do it to save weight, but that's one. Yeah. Fuck it, I'll work out more. I can't I can't do it. <laughs> and, I mean, I don't sleep either. So if I sleep five hours a night in the field, I'm doing good. And that's broken up sleep, and I roll around like crazy. So how yeah. much will you like me after a fucking 10-day hunt in the yeah, same yeah. tent? I mean, I'm, I'm like you. So that's – <laughs> Mike, is the, he was the sleeper. I'm over here like every hour on the hour waking up. I can sleep through anything. So I don't know what he did in the tent when we went to sleep. So yeah. well, think probably a good thing. Again, like I brought this up to a buddy, uh, you know, when you sleep in a tube tent where you got to climb over the guy and all of a sudden you feel something that feels like a thumb rub over your arm. <laughs> what do you think that was? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, next time I'm bringing in my own tent. <laughs> yeah. I will say with the tent situation, when I did have something come get into my food. Um, so that was, that was fun. I don't know. I guess it was a squirrel, chipmunk, weasel, something. Yeah. So. That's like bear preparedness, which I'm horrible at. So I put my food in my tent, right? Which you should not do. You should hang it outside. I don't, I just, I eat at night. If I wake up and I'm hungry, I'm like, I don't do like the intermittent fasting or what. I just eat when I'm hungry. When I'm not hungry, I try not to eat. If I wake up at midnight and I'm hungry, I fucking eat. And then I may not eat again till one o'clock the next day. But that's not great for bear preparedness, but it does help with, um, you're leaving your shit out with, with animals getting to it. But all right. So what would you have? (laughs) <laughs> so this, the sleep system, and this is, um, these are, can be all compounding issues. If you're, if your food's not dialed in, you're going to be hurting on the mountain. If your water's not dialed in, that's going to be even worse. If your, your physical preparedness isn't there where it needs to be, you're just going to have a rough time. The same thing with sleep. Like you need that time to recover. So for me, the, the weight of the sleep system is less of a factor. I will, I will opt to carry more weight in a sleep system that's going to afford me better sleep in the field, knowing that you're going to get less sleep anyway, because you're waking up at 4 a.m. to to get you your glassing spot to start glassing. And then you're not getting down to like 10 o'clock, maybe even later some nights, you know, it depends if you can even get an animal or something. Um, so I, I put a lot of emphasis on getting quality sleep when I can. So my sleep system is probably something that most backcountry hunters don't do, but I brought a hammock system to sleep. Um, and the reason I did that is because I, I like the versatility and the, and this is like a common theme among all of my shit. Um, versatility is, is a huge thing. I like the fact that I don't have to be picky about the location where I'm sleeping. I can hang this thing on the side of a mountain between two trees. I can hang this thing over a Creek. I can, um, if there are trees, if there are trees, exactly. And that, that all goes down to preparing for the location you're going to be in. Obviously if I'm, you know, in the desert, I'm not going to be bringing a hammock, but, um, I knew being out here in Wyoming, there was an abundance 
of, of evergreens and finding location to which, hang that hammock was going to be. Which easy. one did you bring? So, uh, this uh, Anders yep. had one a couple of weeks ago, Yeah, but you didn't sleep long ways from tree to tree. Yeah. But he kept flipping out of the back of it, which wasn't a huge sales pitch. But it was fucking comfortable. I will and say when I got in there, it. there is a bit of a learning curve with with the hammock system. It takes some people quite a bit of time to to dial that in uh, to learn how to sleep in it because um, it's definitely different from what you're used to. So the the system that I brought uh, was a Sierra Madre Research. I think it's called the New Bay. Uh, it's a Paris Paris hammock, but the New Bay system. Uh, and it's a complete system. Uh, it comes with the rain fly. It has a, uh, a bug net with a gear hanger that hangs underneath the hammock. So your stuff stays, uh, off the ground. Um, and I'd say the only downside to that system for me was how long it took to get it set up. And that's because there's like six tie down points for the rain fly. And then you got to, you know, hang your ridge line to put the rain fly on. And then you got to get your tree straps to hang the hammock. So it, t- it takes a little bit of time, but we got to the point where we were tearing down and, and setting up camp where, you know, I could do it relatively quickly. But um, if I had to do it again, I would probably switch out the rain fly to something else. Um, maybe just some sort of like large nine by nine or 10 by 10 tarp. Again, that could be multifunctional. I could use it as my rain fly for that. I could pack it out to, uh, um, to take in my butt packer in my bag as we, we go out on our, our stalks or, uh, go glass somewhere else to use as a shelter system. Um, and then with, with that, I also had, uh, an under quilt, which is a, this was another thing is like, I was debating, do I bring a zero degree bag or do I bring a 30 degree bag? I knew the temps were going to be in the thirties and I was like, I'm going to, I'll be okay with 30 degree bag because the, the bag adds warmth down to that is what they market. But then you can increase that by sleeping in marina wool layers or wool socks. If you put on your you know, puffy pants or your puffy jacket, that's going to increase the insulative value. So, uh, I knew a 30 degree bag was going to be sufficient out there. Uh, one that helped save uh, cube space and a little bit of weight, but it was a down, uh, Sierra Madre research 30 degree bag. Well, it was two bags. Essentially it's an under quilt that goes underneath the hammock. Uh, and then I slept in the top quilt, which is essentially the other half of the sleeping bag in the hammock itself. Uh, and the, the, th- reasoning behind that is the the main issue with a hammock, especially, you know, at 95 or 96,000, a hundred feet, um, is you're, you're battling convection at this point where you're having wind blowing over and underneath you in the hammock, which is, um, causing you to get colder much faster. Whereas when you're sleeping in a tent, you're, you're essentially just battling conduction at that point. And you battle that by uh, sleeping with your thermarest. Um, so you have to hang your bag underneath the hammock, uh, the underquilt essentially, um, to battle that convection. Um, because the, if you're just sleeping in a bag in the hammock, all of that insulation that you're sleeping on is not providing any insulative value. Um, so you're, you're pretty much, it's pretty much useless, which is why you need an underquilt and why you need a top quilt to sleep in, in the hammock. So like with, uh, with the hammock, um, and you know, I've definitely made cracked a a joke or or two about hammocks in some ways they are comfortable. The one thing is 
if it's extremely cold, by the time you have your under quilt and everything else, I would imagine you're running five, six pounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in Anders case, Anders is six ten. A Helionox cot is two pounds, six ounces, I think. So that was what he went to trying different systems out. Um, you know, so, I mean, hammocks are super comfortable for some people. The only, for, you know, for me, obviously, for whatever mental issues I have, I like to have all my, my shit around me or whatever where you, mm-hmm. you know, you can't have that much, but they, they are, they are handy, but on high country mule deer and sheep hunts, they're more, you know, you don't have a lot of, of shit to hook them to. Right. Um, but by the time, what would you say it weighed with under quilt, hammock, all that bag, uh, in your sleeping bag. Honestly, that was one thing that I didn't weigh because I didn't really give a fuck. I was like, yeah. I'll, I'll carry it no matter what it weighs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you sleep you know, good in it though. I, yeah. And the reason I sleep good is because it's an, the hammock itself is like an asymmetrical cut hammock. So you're not sleeping end to end. Like you would think with a normal hammock where you're like body is bent in half. That would be uncomfortable as fuck. Cause you're like, you're crushed in like a little coffin, your shoulders are rolled in and, and you know, not to mention your, your feet are probably above your head. And you know, all of that, that blood is rushing down and into your course. And now your feet are going to get cold at night. So you're not, you don't sleep in a hammock like that. You want, you want to get a hammock where you can sleep off at an angle. So essentially this asymmetrical style of the hammock and, you know, Hennessy hammocks do it. Warbound and hammock hammocks are cut the same way where you get in the hammock and then you can't your body off to a 45 degree. Uh, and some are made to be left, uh, angle or right angle. You, it just depends on, on the, the cut of the hammock, but yeah, you sleep off on an angle. So essentially you're essentially you're laying flat in this hammock. Um, and it's, it's super comfortable. It's like, I would not be able to get as good of a night's sleep in a tent. I'll do it. It, it would just won't be as comfortable. And and that's why like now I'm not having to worry about, you know, is there a, a root underneath me where I set up my tent, you know, or is there a, this rock? Is, is there a slight slope? And now, you know, I'm sleeping with my, me rolling off my thermorest because I set up my tent in a place that wasn't completely flat. So I, you know, I just like that aspect of it um, where I can just kind of pick two trees that are, adequate distance apart, distance apart, set it up. And I know it's going to be an awesome night's sleep, no matter what, as long as I have trees to, to your point. I take trazodone. That helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can med- yeah. yeah. That fixes most problems. I just don't sleep that well. Anyway, I have been looking at two different, the Hennessy and the, um, war bonnet, yep. uh, hammock or whatever for, for certain trips, especially fishing. But, um, so like right now, if, uh, you know, like it sounds like we got the wing it crew to the left and the more prepared crew on the right. If you guys were going to go, like I said, hey, like right now, budget's not an option, right? Hey, you guys, um, you work for me. We're taking 10 days off to go back out. Uh, you got a day to prep uh, and we're going to head back out on a bear hunt. I'm not going to ask you because you already got a ton of shit, but I'll ask you in a second. What are you guys grabbing? Like, are you going to grab a quilt again? Like, what do you mean? Uh, I would probably not get a quilt again. Like, uh, we're going straight to the mountaineering store. We're getting cool shit. First things first would be toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> Dude wipes. I bring wet wipes. <laughs> yeah, we, we ran out of wipes. Thank God Kurt has some old disc. Um, so <clears throat> I'd probably go back to a sleeping bag. Um, Ten I was good with. I mean, outside of the 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 uh, the blanket, I, I, I felt Pretty good. Solid. Yeah, I felt really good about what we had. I mean, it was it was warm. Slept, slept as, I'm like you. I don't, I don't sleep well anyway, so yeah, I don't think there's anything yeah. that could improve that. 
Yeah. Trazodone. I, I, I was good. I promise. Yeah. I think I, I wouldn't change anything for me because I slept and didn't wake up till we were supposed to get up. So. You're a sleeper anyway, right? I can sleep through anything. I yeah, can that's sleep awesome. on, outside on the roots. There's a few things I wish like I could change life. I wish one I could sing because I can. I sound like a cow getting hit with hail and I like singing. So the stereo is up a lot and I wish I could fucking sleep because I can. Um, so you're lucky. Yeah. What about you? Anything? Any yeah, I, mean, I got, I, mean, I have a lot of lessons learned from, uh, from this trip. Uh, and there's a lot of things that I'll, I'll do different on the next one. Um, I guess just to keep it short, if we're talking about the sleep system, I would still bring a hammock with my top quilt and under quilt, but I would change the rain fly one just to make it more efficient in setting up and tearing down. Um, food, I think I was pretty good, but I, I had planned to have, I, I wish I had, I had more ready to eat food. Like in the morning I had this granola mix with dry milk and dry peanut butter and like chia seeds that I was planning to have, you know, just dump water in. And, um, there were a lot of times where like, I just didn't feel like eating that or prepping it to eat in the morning because we were already at our glassing spot and I just didn't want to bust it out and dump water in it and, and chew on this. I wish I had like a, some sort of bar or, or, you know, meal replacement thing for, uh, for breakfast. Uh, I planned to eat, uh, a, like a hot lunch as well, where I'd have to boil water to rehydrate, uh, food for lunch. And that also was quite inconvenient because we were either still out or, you know, uh, just didn't have the the time or the the space to to prepare that. So again, um, really, I think I would have planned maybe just for my dinner being a, a freeze dried or, or rehydrated food uh, to where I had time to to kind of cook it, and everything else should have just been you know more prepared. Dive into that. On um, I'll dive into that a little bit of of a system that gets you pumps you up to almost four thousand calories a day. So uh, green belly meals. Have you guys seen those? Yeah, they're expensive. Mm-hmm. Look. I'll talk to you about that. Those are awesome. Um, or I can help you with that. And then, uh, the, but I, I will say I probably order $500 of green belly meals and, and, uh, and I get a discount now. I would buy them every time. Cause yeah. I can, I can survive off those motherfuckers yeah. without, without a stove. Um, what is it? A green belly meal. Uh, is it just like a, it's a bar. It's a meal. Yeah, bar. Super calorie dense. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I, uh, so the one thing, um, it, it's actually a weird story, um, with my daughter prepping food like way back in the day, but, um, a bagel with bacon and honey and almond butter. So that's like pushing 680 calories. That's what you um, call like the butthole, the butthole sandwich. sandwich. And actually you'll, you'll, you guys will appreciate this story. Um, you should record this cause it's pretty damn funny. So I joined yeah, custody with recorded my, right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, on the, I, but joint custody with my daughter. One of the things we did, like at this time I was kind of on a poverty level, but I was taken, you know, in the field, 150, 60 nights a year, we would get food together and we would work on math, caloric intake, macros, everything else. So one of the things we did was the bagel with bacon, honey and almond butter. Um, I got a food saver at this one time. So we started food savoring them. Well, she, my, my ex, Kaylee and I are like best friends, my daughter. So I just tell her anything. So she asks me, uh, dad, I was listening to Limp Biscuit. Uh, the, the album was chocolate starfish and mom won't tell me what that is. And I'm like, Kaylee, that's your butthole. Uh, she's like, what? And I'm like, go look in the mirror in the bathroom. It's your butthole. So she wants to went and look, she was came back. She's like, Oh my God. And that was kind of the end of that. So then later that day, she's food savoring my bagels. 
well, it looks just like a brown eye once it's food savored. Yeah. So she's like, Dad, it's a chocolate starfish. So that's where the butthole <laughs> sandwich came from. There's actually this article about that on Rockslide. So, but that's a good way, those green belly meals. But honestly, making them yourself. Uh, have you tried that yet? I haven't. Holy shit. Yeah. So like if if I can't even cook, the highest caloric intake bars I've ever had were ones I made at home. And they're, you know, green bellies, what, six bucks or something a bar. You're down to about 64 cents if you do the math of making them yourself. Okay. Um, and you know exactly what's in them. They don't last this long, right? So you got to prep them before you go on a trip. But on a 10-day trip, um, you know, it's a lot of almond butter, some olive oil. I put cran craisins in mine, which like sliced almonds. Um, You can do, like on some of mine, I was doing coffee bean chocolate chips or whatever, but super high calorie. And honestly, the only problem with them is is you fucking eat them all fast. Like Mm -hmm. I have to be really diligent because like I come back and I'm like, oh, do I want to make a a freeze-dried meal? No, fuck that. I'm going to eat my chocolate-flavored fucking bar or whatever. So those are good. But that's, I mean, that's the biggest thing, obviously, is the highest caloric intake with the lowest amount of, of weight. And I only do the one the one meal right. for, with the fuel. Cause then I also save fuel obviously. Yep. So, um, you, we, we talked about earlier, you did the pre-workout thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that was, uh, from listening to, uh, like a YouTube video of you doing your, uh, food preparedness for a hunt many years ago. I heard you mention bringing pre-workout out and I was like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Like I usually drink that anyway, before I do my workouts, uh, so that it might be something nice to just take a scoop of that in the middle of the day, you know, you're feeling lethargic or you're, you're not kind of dialed in and, um, it, it just gives you a little bit of a boost. Um, and I, I found that to be pretty helpful. Saves weight and is what it does. Um, are you guys caffeine addicts over on? Yeah. 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 You, we only made coffee one morning, honestly. Oh yeah. Fuck that. Yeah. I can't do that. I got to have caffeine. That may have been where my headache came from actually. Yeah. Not having caffeine. Well, you, you guys had the black rifle, mm-hmm. um, whatever discs. Instant that, coffee, just drop it in. But it was like, it, you had to like brew it and yeah. then you take the bag out. Yep. Yeah. It's a little like a tea bag looking thing. I brought out some just instant coffee packs. And so I would just, you know, I wouldn't boil water in the morning again, cause we didn't have time or something, uh, or we were already out getting ready to glass. So I just dump the uh the instant coffee in my canteen cup or in my nesting cup and um drink a cold brew coffee obviously less uh, energizing uh yeah it's it it's works. it's bad at like again with the whole paying the tollman thing like if it's only two nights uh, i'll pack in canned c4s and fucking drink those in the morning like i weight doesn't really affect me as much yeah to a certain degree or whatever but like I give you a prime example of of not knowing what you're carrying. My buddy bought bacon cheddar bratwurst. Maybe um, we were getting ready to back in backpack in for seven days. He bought a six pack of them, and he was like hemming and hawing if he should carry them to eat them the first night or two. And I was like, "You stupid fucker, don't carry those in." So we get in like three and a half miles, four miles, and he's like, "Man, I can't wait to have those bratwurst." And he's like. I said, he's a fucking crazy bastard. You packed those in? He's like, no, fuck no. I hit them in your pack. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even know, right? They were in my pack. So, I mean, I wasn't mad at them. I was pretty happy we ate them. But that weight conscientious thing to a certain degree, if you're doing a big dick kicker of a trip, obviously go as light as you can. But right. to me, if it's two nights, I'll pack in a fifth of whiskey for everybody. Like, right. it's not anything that I just don't give a shit. But when you do a 10, even a six, like six, eight, 10, 12 day trip, my pack is pretty fucking Spartan. Like there's not a lot in it. Cause you're looking at, 
if I can get to 70 pounds with optics on a, on a 10, 12 day trip, I've yeah. done pretty damn good. What was your pack weight? Did you weigh? Yeah. It? My pack weight, including the pack and no water was about 55 pounds. Yeah. That's, that's solid. Especially for, I had the impression it was going to be quite a bit more than that from, yeah. from all the doomsday shit you were talking yeah. about, but obviously you've got it really dialed. Did you guys weigh yours? What do you think? Okay. Well, I know just make some weighed. shit up what i know what mine weighed just from the airport yeah uh my pack was 48 pounds and then plus my other pack i had to carry two packs most of the time yeah. so my camera gear was like probably 15 to 20 yeah that's what kills it um uh wally the guy coming when we went in he picked my pack up he's like what the fuck is in this thing and yeah. i'm like Dude, I got a Canon R3. Yeah. I've got a 70 to 200 lens of 15 to 35 and a 28 to 70. At 28 to 70 is two and a half pounds. Yeah, so. that's and I was like, but we're going to get some fucking good photos, right? And right. I was like, oh, believe me, dude, if we're going in eight miles, I'm, I'm got you. Well, you know what's coming? Uh, I bought that Leica Q uh, mm. point and shoot. Have yeah. you seen that? Uh -uh. You, have you seen it? Yeah. I've, I'm getting older, right? So I'm like, okay, if it's not, uh, if I'm not doing what you're doing where I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm taking the photos and it's just me trying to do this. I ponied up. It's a, what the fuck was it? $5,700 point and shoot camera. But yeah, it, but it, it puts out badass images though. Dude, I was looking at it and I'm like, okay, if, if, if some of these, this shit that I'm about to do this season, I, I, even with an R5 and a 24 to 70, it, and it, it it's also having it out. So if I'm hunting, right. I'm not going to have that camera out where I can actually keep that thing relatively available, that Q series uh, mm -hmm. camera. But again, cameramen always get fucked because it's not just that. If you're doing like you were doing, like both of you guys, where you got to go ahead and behind, you're also like a like a dog. If we walk 10 miles, dogs walk 40. A cameraman, if we've done 10 miles, you've probably done 13. You've done right. extra. So Right. It felt like it. <laughs> and that's one thing I will say about Kurt that I that I learned because I'm I'll, I'll go anywhere if we say hey there, there's there's an animal no matter how bad it is we'll figure it out on the way back it may be real bad but I could I could throw out the stupid idea like going down the valley was a stupid idea yeah and I look at Kurt and I was like hey man I got an idea I don't know if you're gonna like it look at Kurt and he's like well let me just plan out a route real quick yeah and you look back at Mike and Mike is like this is stupid we don't need to go down there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that that one, it, it would have been nice if we had gotten there. We just didn't have the time. It was quite a ways away. We we were really contemplating going. And I was like, all right, let me plan a route. So I, I pulled out my device and I just started plotting this route, uh, measured it out. And it turned out to be, you know, almost 11 kilometers away, which is like not undoable, but we only had two more days left, I yeah. think, at this point. Yeah. Uh, and it was just like, we'd, we'd just burn a morning and an evening of a hunt just trying to get down there in a, in a time it's so. better than being with debbie downers that's like the yeah. uh the worst thing in the world like that, that you want that of like hey there's no mountain too far no whatever, whatever the fuck the saying is right like let's just roll yeah. occasionally i will be the first guy to say is that's a fucking horrible idea let's not do that yeah. but as far as laughing you know always being in a good mood or whatever um is key to like from it's fuck it's just like a marriage having a a true hunting partner for backpack hunting is, is, is more important than honestly, probably a, a, a marriage. Cause you are, you're stuck with that person right? and they need to have the same moral values. And I don't mean that in the sense of like shot distances, ethical, like, you know, I've hunted with a guy, I took a frontal shot and you would have thought I slept with his daughter. I'm like, dude, it worked. It's mm -hmm. dead. And he was all fucking butthurt about it. And I'm like, okay, this is awkward, man. Like I should have asked this question, right. Where, you know, now, no matter what happens, you know, whether it's fitness or it's raining or whatever, 
they're not whining all the time, right. right? Like it's one thing I'll get up and be like, man, my back is fucked up. Like that's not what I'm talking about. It's more of like, I can't believe we're not seeing animals, whatever. I'm like, well, you fucking complaining is not helping. Like, yeah. like keeping a positive attitude, which sounds like you guys, you know, obviously did. Yeah. Do. I didn't have, I like talking about like getting sore, like you're going to get sore putting in those miles, walking around those mountains with a heavy ass ruck. Um, I ended up bringing a bunch of 800 milligram ibuprofen and I would just pop one of those. Vitamin okay. I. Yeah. Where, where did the, where did the majority of those go though? Those went to um, Micah, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you want to, you want to defend yourself? Uh, I have nothing to say. You know, I got weak thumbs. <laughs> well, um, we should tell that story since we're... Well, t- tell that story while I go pee or I'm going to piss my pants. Do you guys need... Are you guys... Anybody else need to pee? Uh, water? Uh, there's some... I'll bring it back. There's some in my office, but... Yeah, Micah ripped his thumb off somehow, so go ahead. Yeah. Unfortunately. You want me to tell it? Yeah. Um, so, after Joe had one of his great ideas of hiking down the valley... We put all of our camp back on our backs and uh, start heading down. And we're going down, I guess it was rock shell or like that loose rocks. Yeah, shell. And my feet slip out from under me about halfway down this. And I tried to catch myself and felt something pop and looked down. My thumb's out of place. So as quickly as I could, I got it back in place. And at this point, I just want to I just want to state like me and Kurt are in a good place because Kurt's a mover and and I'm ready to move. Micah never wanted to go to the new spot. Yeah. So he's already, you know, he's not pouting. But, you know, before we were walking down this hill, I looked at Kurt and I was like, hold on. And I gave him a hug. I was like, I love you. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, we take off running. So as soon as he pops his thumb in a place, I was like, oh, God, this I, can't be I, happening. I wasn't I wasn't complaining, though. No, you, you didn't complain. You didn't complain. That was good. Yeah. Was good. And so he he definitely manned up though, and you took your glove off as painful as it was, and we were like, "Oh my god!" And you just grabbed your thumb and ripped it back into into place, and I was like, "Okay, good on you." Didn't yeah. didn't scream. Just kind of was like, "Oh, okay," and then just, <laughs> just grunted and and kept going. What was going through your head when you when you looked down? You're like, "Oh no." Well, I'd been there before a few times. Yeah. So. I knew that the quicker I got it back in, the less pain I was going to be in for the rest of the trip. Yeah. Um, got it back in relatively quick um, until the next day. It wasn't this. It was the same day, wasn't it? Or was it the, it next, was the day? next morning? Okay. No, it was the next. Okay. It was the next morning. And uh, <laughs> I guess my thumb was so weak from the previous day that uh, I went to stand up and put too much pressure on it, popped it out again, and and that, that but that one. So the funny thing about that is. In hindsight, after the first one, Joe and I were talking. We we're like, "Fuck, we should have, we should have maybe like pulled out a camera and filmed him popping this thing back <laughs> into place." But you know, at the time, you're like concerned for your friend, and you're like wanting to make sure he's good to go. So you're not thinking about that. Um, but in the next one, we definitely were thinking about that one. So <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm he's over close to the yeah. tent, I think, and me and you were or glass and no, over I on glass. The- I was glassing with y'all. I went to stand up. Yeah, but you weren't like right us. there on yeah. us. I was on the I was on the cliff. Y'all were over at the logs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he stands up, and you can kind of I kind of hear him like mumble something. It's like here, here it is again. <laughs> so I'm like, I said no. no. <laughs> I look, I look over my shoulder, and you can see him. It it almost looks like he's dislocated his shoulder because he's just like hanging that arm down because it's in pain. Yeah. And uh, this time, me and Kurt like jump up. Kurt rips out his phone, and I'm like, immediately, make, I'm like, make sure you're recording. This. I was on it, and I literally, I'm a horrible friend. I look at Mike, and I'm like, hold on, let me get my camera. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I go to my pack, grab my grab my Sony, and I start taking pictures. You can hear me in Kurt's video, and I'm like, hey, turn it towards me just a little bit more. You can just yeah. hear the camera grabbing focus and, and going off. Just great friends. Just l let him sit yeah. in pain while we bust out our cameras to, to record the in the moment. And then we're like, all right, go ahead and pop it back in place. Yeah. <laughs> so all that's on on video. So I just got back in here. I met so I saw the thumb video. Yeah. You've never dislocated it before? I have. Uh, back when I played high school football, I dislocated it and it i guess effed it up pretty good so i guess so. i had i had popped it in and out before yes you you should see him wiggling he after he did it the second time he was like no nah, I, I think yeah. it's pretty bad and was just just wiggling it's like it's he's gonna have to go to the doctor yeah so uh, this this was my first uh, time hanging out with micah so it was it was good experience but he i think really quickly i found out that um, he is quite accident prone. And I know <laughs> Joe has said this before and, and Micah said that, you know, his brother says that all the time. Yeah. Uh, and we definitely experienced that the first night when we, we were out there in Alpine, um, we got the fire started and everything and he busts out his jet boil to, to boil some water and he's going to pour it in his, uh, mountain house or whatever he had and like damn near catches himself on fire. Yeah. And don't turn the jet bull sideways while it's, it's lit. Yeah. Uh, flamed up in my face pretty good and i tried to blow it out like an idiot then i realized there's a there's a little knob you can turn it down yeah i mean you went through all the the, the panic cycles yeah. but you figured it out pretty quickly yeah so bad. i'm trying to think we did not do a podcast on the Dad hunt mm -mm. you did with levi that's right yeah, no no but you guys weren't involved in that no so just so everybody uh is up up to speed or whatever. Um, Joe and Micah were the ones that had filmed the Owdad hunt with Levi and um, uh, crew down in Texas. Um, I'm trying to think which one of you, you J Micah, you spotted the ram when we were circling around, the one that I mm -hmm. shot. Yep. Um, which that ended up being, was that like seven or nine? At the most. It was seven yards. yards. Seven was in our face. Yeah, seven, seven yards. And then you got the close camera angle and you got the far. Mm -hmm. Or say yep. far. You guys are like eight yards apart. Yeah, I was in the I was in the back of the one. Yeah. Um that yeah, so just so everybody knows that that's what and then is that coming out? Is it yeah? Are you guys gonna actually put the footage of mine on film? Oh yeah. Oh shit. What's going on there. Might have to leap a few things but yeah it's going on there yeah yeah not just for me either i wasn't the only one cussing that no. was insane yeah, yeah that was a wild that was the coolest hunt i've ever been on the uh some uh i might edit this out i think our first interaction was me school crushing a fucking javelina with a boulder because yeah. I remember looking back on Joe's face thinking, I probably shouldn't have done that in front of these people well, I, without asking. I had never, you know, I had never met Aaron, but I'd, you know, I've heard all these stories and just whatever, killer, savage, does, does all this crazy shit. And then you, you meet him and he's just, you know, he's big dude. He's, he's a knuckle dragger. He's, he is, he's an alpha guy. And then we're rolling around the mountains on these side by sides going to find these rams. You know, we had talked about it. it was nice. It wasn't weird. And uh, well, I'm in. Well, thank you. I'm in the back. <laughs> I'm in the back, side by side, and uh, something had happened. I don't. I don't know what happened. I won't give the details. But next thing I know, I see Aaron running through the field with a fucking boulder, and he just lifts it up over his head like a caveman. Just boom! And I look at uh, I look at Scotty, and I was like, "Did he just? Did he just kill that with a rock?" And Scotty's like. Ugh. I think so. I don't know. <laughs> and I, I got out of the side by side to Mike and I was like, God, who is this guy? Like, what, what are we doing here? Uh, no, I remember looking back thinking, 
I probably should not have done that just in case. Uh, <laughs> but it ended up being, I was laughing so fucking hard that that was the funnest hunt I have ever been on. And, you know, obviously you, you're a walking soundbite. Like, I can't remember. I was making fun of one of your tops. So you pulled your shirt off and we're like <laughs> running the, around. It was the gray puff jacket I was wearing. <laughs> yeah. and jump behind the bush. Without your shirt <laughs> and then, uh. Yeah, so we, Hannah may have been drinking a little. We were in those cliffs. It's foggy. And I remember him grabbing a rock like this and going and just chucking it. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing? He's like, there could be something down there. I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. That entire trip was pretty damn funny. We were just, we were literally just talking to, uh, telling Kurt about that trip yesterday when when we were coming out of the mountains of how fun it was and talking about Scotty and what what a good dude he is. And, I think Mike and I were saying, we were talking about we wanted to go back. Oh, yeah. Um, well, we need to get that plan for sure because that is that is a fun hunt. Yeah, 100%. Um, how'd that footage come out with the fog and everything? That was awesome. Was it's it as be, good as it sweet. seemed to be? Yeah. Other night, segment. kill that fucking ram, but yeah. Oh, we should have. It was close. There was a lot of sprinting involved with that whole ordeal. Yeah. Is that the one where you were chasing down the, the, the goat? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Aaron just takes On off front. running and then... Um, just try to keep up. That's just trying to count coup on a. On well, a what it's just when f- the fog would come in, we we had a, a limited window before it blew over. Yeah. So using that to our advantage, I would I would sprint as far as we could, and then the, when the fog would thin, I we dive behind mm-hmm. cedars, and then the moment when the fog would come, and I was not being, I'm not used to having a, a whole slew of people, so I wasn't like, hey guys, we're gonna go. I just fucking took oh, off, yeah, right? Yeah. So, the, my bad on that part. I mean, everybody kept up, but um, there there was a lot of sprinting on that whole ordeal. We it got to like 28 yards and yeah. winded us. Um, I remember we had four fucking people behind a bush, and I remember being like, quit fucking moving, mm-hmm. and. uh <laughs> There, he was trying to get it on film, and the last thing on my mind is film. This is like a 34-inch, largest ram on the ranch coming right at us. And I'm like, oh, sweet. And Levi's ranging it like 86, 64, but it was probably a 50-mile-an-hour mm-hmm. yeah, shot I couldn't couldn't take. I mean, I couldn't, I wouldn't, I could have taken it. I wouldn't have made it. Um, yeah, that was probably the, some of the coolest shit I've been involved in because yeah. that thing was coming straight at us. Yeah, it was killer footage, too. When will that be out? Um, that's going to be episode number four, so that will be probably first, first, maybe second week of August. Gotcha. Yeah, I've had a lot of people ask me about that. Mm-hmm. So getting back on track with your hunt, did you tell the lion story? The mountain Oh, lion? we didn't win no. it there yet. Joe's, oh. Joe's that, the best at this. Yeah, that, this was post- moving to our our kind of our final glass location yeah so we had, we had decided we were going to go we had, we we're going to drop down in this valley yeah. below us because we felt like we'd get a better vantage point of the hill that we were glassing because it, it looked better and that was another big dilemma point for us we were and i'm sure every hunter faces it where you're like it, it's not panning out where we're at yeah like do we move you know if we move we risk not seeing this animal where we've been at for the past couple of days but if we do move we might see him somewhere else I'm, I'm gonna tell a piece of the story, and then I'm gonna let Micah tell the tell the interaction. Um, so we we drop down in this rock, and it's you know I don't it's it's we're like on a rock bluff, and it's just like drop down to a bench, another rock bluff, drop down to a bench, another rock bluff. Oh, pretty much all around us, but we can see the entire valley. So we had decided this is this is where we're gonna make camp, and you know we're glassing what 15, 20 yards from, from camp. So it was just it was just a convenient setup as well. So we set everything up, uh, glass that even didn't see anything. Uh, and at this point, 
you know, we haven't we hadn't seen a bear in 24 hours, something like that. So we're we're starting to get a little lax. Wake up the next morning, glass all morning. Saw saw a bunch of elk down in the valley, a few mule deer, but didn't see any bears. And um, we're we're kind of getting close, running out of time, just how far we're 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 in. So we're trying to decide: do we want to uh, stay where we are? We're probably not going to move in this valley again because yeah. we, we've hunted the whole mountain. This is when we talked about moving deep into the valley. That was like almost that ten k away. Yeah, that ten k. We wouldn't have had time had we gotten an animal to, right. to pack it out and get out of there. So, so yeah, we were st- kind of stuck there. And we were talking about, do we go back to unit 16? Do we go back down to Alpine and, you know, right. camp out for the night and then spend the morning and try to find somewhere and hike in and kind of hunt that evening? Just in a higher density area, we thought maybe we'd have a better chance just for, for one hunt. So <clears throat> we talked for 45 minutes, decide, all right, we're just going to stick it out here. Like we're here. And we're, we did, I guess we decided we need to ramp up the level of aggression of how we're hunting these bears too. Yeah, but it was also just like at this point we're just kind of having fun. Yeah, you know we're hanging out. We're we're hunting, but we're also hanging out. I think Michael wanted to do one of the one of the videos, so we kicked a we kicked a log over the over the cliff. Yeah, we we got to the point where we the, the mountain was kicking our ass, and we needed to reassert our dominance over. <laughs> Kurt, Kurt, literally, Kurt literally said, "No, we're asserting our dominance yeah. on this valley." <laughs> so we went up to this like six hundred pound log. It was like a a burnt deadfall that was literally hanging right on the edge and we were like we can squat or we can lay down press. behind this we'll and leg press. press this thing over the over the cliff and sure enough we did it uh, we did it uh and uh, no joke kurt said we're going to assume assert dominance over this valley yeah. 25 minutes later we're sitting down the, on on our little glass and rock and a giant rock fall off the other side of the valley falls off and just like crushes all these trees. That goes like, throughout the entire valley. Yeah. It was it was it, imposing. It for was sure. like the, the yeah. valley just asserted dominance back. Yeah, they were like, <laughs> fuck no guys. <laughs> so anyway, we're sitting there, decide we're gonna stay. And Kurtz had this predator call all week. And I, you know, me and Mike were like, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not gonna do that. We're not, we're not playing that game. Yep. And uh I'm like, Kurt, get your predator call out. And uh, he, he's like, really? And we're like, yeah, what, what do we have to lose? And again, I, I don't have much experience hunting bears in the backcountry. So I'm kind of taking cues off these guys. So they're like, hey, bust it out. And I was like, yeah, we're at the point where we need to be a little bit more aggressive with how we're, we're doing business. Like short of tracking this animal to its den and shooting it in its den. Like, let's try and call it in. Yeah. So, you know, Kurt gets his call out messes around on it for five, 10 minutes, teach him, you know, he'd, he'd never used one. So me and Mike could teach him how to, you yeah. know, kind of blow a diaphragm call. And, and it winds up sounding pretty good. Well, we made the final decision right after that. Okay, we are not moving. This is this is yeah. where we'll stay and where we'll hunt for the remainder of the trip. And um, all of us literally lay down on the rock, pull our hats over our eyes, take a, na- like, take a quick nap in the sun. Yeah. Well, to back up real quick, and then this kind of plays into us trying to assert dominance over the valley. You know, after we pushed that log, then the mountain responded by, you know, starting an avalanche and and then, or or dropping this big ass boulder off, off the top and rolling down the hill. Uh, And then we saw this, this other omen that we were like trying to decipher this crow kept kind of like flying past us. And we were like, are they bad luck? Like. And it was just a single crow. If you, if you shoot a crow, I think in the Native American deal, uh, it's bad luck to kill one. Every well, yeah. camp we went to, we this had a crow. One crow just, crow just fly by and call. And we were like, 
maybe that's a good omen or, you know, maybe it's a bad one, but it turned out at least for this trip that each time maybe it turned out like, to be a hey, bad omen. The white dudes are here. So yeah, yeah we, we, we did, <laughs> we did the log push. Then the mountain responded. Then the crow came again as we were trying to decide if we should stay there. And we were like, Oh, the, the, the crow's here. It's probably a good sign. We should, we should stay. But I think that was like him telling us to get the fuck out of here because something else was coming. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty and much. And Joe, so we, what was that? Something we else? lay down and take a nap <laughs> and, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like taking naps anyway, but I was just bored. And I think I hear Micah like rustling around doing something. And I, I get up and he's, he's walking back from the tent. It's 30 yards over to our right. And, um, I get up and I start walking towards him and I said, Hey, you want to, you want to eat some ramen? I get the jet bowl and we eat some ramen. And he's like, yeah, that sounds good. So we go over the we go over the tent, get all the food, get the jet bowl out, you know, fire it up, and I uh, I start cooking, you know, bowl and his ramen. Well, he goes back over to the glass and rock, and uh, you know, I'm yelling, yeah, it's ready, whatever. He comes over, and uh, he puts he puts it in the mountain house bag. He didn't have a bowl, so he put it in the mountain house house bag and was eating out of it. I'll let you kind of <laughs> take over from here. All right, so. <laughs> I'm eating my ramen, and uh, Joe has his back to the cliff. I'm facing the cliff. We're probably standing. I'm probably like, what, a yard from you at the most? Yeah. And we're probably maybe eight yards from the edge of the cliff, and I'm eating my ramen, and, <laughs> and I just, something caught my eye. I look up, and a big-ass fucking cat is crouched looking at Joe, and I thought at that point... <laughs> Joe's was, back is to Joe is crouched down tending to his jet bowl. Yeah, he has back no to the clue. Cat. He's yeah. very defenseless at this point. The cat's just staring down the back of his neck, and uh, and the cat's cat's in it's pounce. In, it's it's in, crouched. It's fixing the yeah. pounce, like elbows almost above its head, just like staring at us. I make eye contact, and my first instinct is just like, "Oh fuck, Joe, you're dead." <laughs> and I he literally says, "Oh, oh shit, yeah. Joe." But in in the moment, I didn't I, looking back. He was the tone that he said it was like he's dead, like he, he's lost his life. Like, yeah. oh no, Joe! Yeah, I just thought it was too late at this point. This cat's like <laughs> way too close. And uh, did you say how far it was? It was like ten yards. It was a, at the very most yeah, ten yards. It was, yeah, close it was super close, and I ran. <laughs> so so Micah Micah says that. And obviously, like, my first reaction is to look up at him. So I, like, look up at him, and it looks like his face. For a split second, I was like, oh, he's just messing with me. And But it looks like his face is, like, almost touching the ground. Like, it's his jaws on the ground. It's it's white as snow. And I see him look down at his ramen pack, and, like, he's, like, studying it and puts his spoon in the pack and then starts, like, side shuffling <laughs> out the side of the hill. Well, this is all happening in a matter of seconds. We'll that- rewind, like, real quick. Three days ago, Micah, because, again, I'd never encountered a cat before. Micah's like, hey, do you know what to do, like, if a cat is, like, close to you? He's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If, it's, if you're making eye contact, you, like, you don't look away, you stand your ground, because if you look away or try to turn away, the thing is going to go get closer to you. Um, so I'm like, check, I'm tracking that. Like, I'm I'm going to do that. Easier so, said than done. Yeah. So, so, so I see Micah, <laughs> Micah side, just shuffle, side shuffle, sprinting out the side of this hill. Well, I like... Again, I'm he, like, he had never said cat no or he, cougar he, he hasn't or said anything else was like oh shit dead. joe <laughs> yeah oh so shit I'm, joe and he just runs i'm like craw- craw- clawing at the ground to like get up <laughs> and i'm like michael what what is it what is it and i'm running and he's he's just going 
<laughs> so I'm I'm too scared to even look back. And at this point, in my, I can remember thinking like vivid thoughts of like, is it a is it a snake? Is it a bear? Is it a lion? Like, and I'm running. And what's stupid is so the whole trip I've had my pistol in my hip the whole time. Yeah. But for this one yeah. time, it's sitting in my tent. And it's a foot in front of me. All I got to do is reach out and grab it. And I've got my gun. But obviously in that panic moment, my reaction is just get the hell out of there. So I'm like, I'm like running towards our glass and rock. And I'm I, my first reaction was I was like, Kurt, get the pistol. <laughs> Kurt, get the I'm like yeah. screaming, Kurt, get the pistol. And um, I like jump over this. I'm jumping over this stick. And I, I'm midair. I can see that Kurt is no longer at the glassing rock. Yeah. And at this point, I'm like, whatever's back here has got to be on me. <laughs> and I'm start, I'm like, that a panic sets in then of like, well, this is it, because I don't see Kurt with his pistol. And I just see Kurt kind of pop up. Yeah. And he's like 20 yards away. He was walking around the hill. Yeah. Um, and he pops up and I hear him go, okay, okay. <laughs> and I finally stop, like he comes up and he's got his pistol, and I stop and look at Micah, and he's like, Dude, there was a mountain lion six <laughs> yards from you coming up your back. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so what, for, from my perspective, it was like I was gathering up my stuff, getting ready to go a little bit further away around that, around like a little ridge to glass from a different location. And all I hear is a little bit of rustling. And then I hear a frantic call for my name. And I'm like, what the fuck is he like? what is this? And I just hear, get the pistol, get the pistol. And I, I've got my bino harness and my pistol is hanging underneath it. So it's, it's always with me cause I'm always having that bino harness. So immediately I just do a quick draw uh, of my pistol and I kind of have it at the low ready. And they're, they're all I know is I see these two dudes <laughs> springing at me yelling, get the pistol. So I start <laughs> making movement towards them. And then I finally find out that, you know, there was a cat over there. So I'm, you know, I'm in like hunt mode at this point. I'm like, fuck yeah. Like <laughs> we need to keep eyes on it. So I'm trying to, you know, get to wherever that cat was to get eyes on. So we know where it is and where it's going to go. Cause we don't, we don't know if this thing's going to flank us, if it's going to get treed or run away. Uh, I just want to know so that we can know what to do next. Um, and, and kind of that's, that's where I was at there. I was, I wasn't intending to like well, try was, and kill it, this thing i was like we we just need to be in defense mode and we need to, to get some intelligence and gain some awareness of our and surroundings. it was it was at that moment they were like well we'll get out of here yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll, did you guys that, see it again or did it bounce no it bounced it well, i mean we looked for it for probably 30 minutes trying to find yeah. it but we yeah. definitely did uh, a two-man security as we were breaking down camp that that was our final straw we were like we had all, the, all these moments of trying to uh to assert dominance over this mountain and uh it just kept hitting us with some yeah, shit probably. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, we can't spend another night here where we were one doing a predator call in mountain lion country. And this thing is, we it's a 200 pound cat in the area. Yeah. So, uh, I've had that happen twice calling elk. Um, th well, three times, two, uh, two of them died because we shot them. But, you, um, yeah. And I have a video of, of having a bobcat come in like that and Amy, my wife, sh shooting at it. But anyway, you're, you, you've never felt the butthole fucking mm -hmm. pucker factor because, even bears, like, don't get me wrong, a grizzly is very intimidating, but you see those, right? Yeah. You do not see mountain lions very often, except usually from a far distance. So lost calf calls or whatever, like we were in a clear cut, fucking turned around and there was one looking at us and I'm like, shoot this motherfucker. <laughs> and he's like, is it a bull? I'm like, it's a cat. Well, my buddy initially thought like house cat or something. I'm like, he goes, a house cat. And I'm like, a fucking 
fucking mountain lion kill this motherfucker. He shoots, smokes the fucking aspen beside it, and it just goes, doesn't move. And I'm like, keep your shit together. It didn't move. Shoot again. Shoot again. And he kills it, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, dude, you okay? And I'm like, well, I think I shit myself. But yeah, I was like, dude, it's fucking eight yards away. How'd you miss it? And he was like, I was nervous. Obviously, you know, I was like, holy fuck, that's never going to happen again. Wrong. <laughs> Two years later, we're like slow, like slowly walking, cow calling, lost calf calling. We go to take a knee and I look to the left and there's one fucking coming. And But it was a younger cat, which you probably need to worry about more mm -hmm. like young grizzlies. And I was like, oh shit, dude. Hey, do you have a gun? And he's like, no, I don't bring a gun. I'm like, well, yeah, I, I don't either. So uh, let's knock an arrow because this fucking thing. And you could tell he was like, like. 60 pounds mm -hmm. probably just kicked off his mom or whatever and then the other one that had come in we were on a kind of a water hole just midday not sitting in a water hole but midday and uh we weren't calling at all and that thing walked in and i'm like half fucking asleep and i'm like Jesus <laughs> and then my my buddy killed that one um some states you can hunt them during elk season some you can but uh yeah you'll bet shit your shit your pants yeah. when that happens which so, i'm sure you did it's a very eerie feeling yeah, yeah. Well, and just, i only saw it for Gosh, at the very most two seconds. Yeah. And I was out. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's one of those things too, where it's like, had he not walked back when he did, oh yeah, Joe, you know, it's like Joe'd have been dead. Yeah, yeah, it was like it was over. Like I had no idea. My back was completely to it. Yeah. Uh, it was just uh there's a lot of situation. I was I went earlier, 30 minutes before that, or 45 minutes before that, went over there to use the bathroom, like right yeah. where it came up the, you know, yeah, the mountains. So it's like there's multiple situations where you kind of stop and think like yeah, I'll never let that pistol come off my yeah. side again. I think the thing is too, like depending upon where you are and what you're doing, sometimes like that they're looking for a pet because most hikers hike with a, a dog, right. right? And so they'll they'll be looking for a pet too. And man, that doesn't mean like Joe wouldn't have turned into the pet, but obviously, <laughs> you know, any whatever predator wise, you're a big dude. So maybe that would have helped, maybe not. But I've not had that happen before, not like that. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Especially you look over at Kurt and have a mountain lion behind you. And they're like, what do you say? Kurt, don't be nervous, but there's a 170-pound fucking cat behind you. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah that, that was not how it went down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a good lesson learned for anybody, like, listening on this. Like, you can think that just setting your gun down, like, right next to you is enough, and you yeah. grab it if you need it. But it's like, when that happens, you just go in, you know, a different a different mind space or head space. Or, yeah. And your mindset is different, and, and you may not react how you think, so... Don't ever get it off your body. Yeah, because I just blacked out. Like, I yeah, literally, just, right, no, yeah. just like you just black out and go yeah. into like, I got to get out of here mode. Yeah, I've had that happen with grizzlies before. I mean, black bears aren't a, really a threat to, so to, I mean, they are, but what grizzlies are a, a threat. And last year, um, and I've been around a shitload, but last year we were spotting for mule deer. I'm not as, as energetic to sleep on the ground for no reason. So I helped these guys find some deer and then I called Amy or message her on inReach. And I was like, Hey, you want to come grab me and, and hiked out. And, uh, I hit one on the way out with cubs, but it was a ways away. And then I got in the timber just fucking around. And then all of a sudden fucking one pops up on its hind legs. I was like, and I don't carry a gun. Um, I had one on the other, I'm bad. I don't fucking, and I was like, Hmm. Yeah. This is a fucking problem. I have got to stop carrying a gun and it popped down was, you know, they did that lip curl sniffing, turned its head and I'm like, Oh fucking gee. I was hoping it smell me cause they'll usually bounce. Right. And I was like, sweet Jesus, please let the fucking wind turn. And, uh, it winded me. It ran about a hundred yards away and started fucking around again. And then I walked like a little bitch down to the vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why don't you, why don't you carry a gun? I don't know. I just fucking never, I don't, I just never worried about it. I mean, I'm going to start carrying one now, but like, 
once I've been in the woods and everything else, like honestly, I'd carry a gun more for people than yeah. I would for, mm-hmm. for animals. And I mean, I've had grizzlies charge and shit and whatever else. And I just never have had a, a major issue, but like, here's a little bit different. Grizzlies are a little thicker or whatever. So I mean, I mean, the biggest thing now is not just carrying it is when you're not used to carrying one, like yeah. Wally, he packed in with one and then we walked to the back of the lake. And the only thing he brought other than a fishing pole was he brought his 10 millimeter in his back pocket. He's like, Oh yeah, this motherfucker never leaves my side. Yeah. And I'm like, fucking my pack's 40 yards away and I'm fishing. Not, you know what I mean? I got to get better at actually keeping it on me all the time rather than just having it. So what gun did you bring, Joe? It was a Glock 10 millimeter. Yeah. I ended up, I brought my Glock 19 nine millimeter. Yeah. If anybody cares, I had a SIG three something. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. Well, uh, before we hop off, because this went way longer than I thought it would, why don't you guys talk about some of the new stuff coming out from Born Primitive? There's new colorways that are, I think some have been released, new things coming out of, of what level we can talk about. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of this trip, like we kind of said, was doing some T&E on, on some of the new gear and uh, and gathering some content. So, um, you know, really for me, I, c- I came on back in January. So this is my first time. I think first time I saw somebody wearing it, I was, I was with you, Aaron, in, in West Texas, um, and it looked sharp. So this is my first time getting to really put it to the test um, and wear it out in, in the backcountry on a, on a hunt. And uh, I love it. Like, man, like when we got soaked, those those new, the, the Frontier Light Pants, they've got a new fit. I think is 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 really nice. I'm 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 excited about that. We've yeah. got some new colorways coming out in those as well. They got wet and they dried out real quick. Yeah, I mean they were drying what? Yeah. 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. By the surprising. time by the time we sat down, they were completely back to, you yeah. know, bone dry. Um, so that was nice. And uh being such a lightweight material, you know, going into sage flats over the dead, over the deadfalls and all of that and on the rock faces, like handled handled all week. So you know, we're excited to have the new the new fit and the new colorways come out in the lights. We got some new colorways coming out in the heavies as well. These are called these are the frontier light and the frontier heavy. Yeah, pants. Yeah. Um, another piece that that's coming is that uh, that quarter zip ridge line with the hood. Yeah, I think that'll be a that'll be a really big piece for us. I think yeah. a lot of people will really like that. Yeah, that's a big one for me, especially glassing. I like to have yeah. that hood on. There's a, a sun shirt as well, but like for a base wear, layer, especially backpack hunting, I kind of, the sun shirt's more not for me. I wouldn't take that backpacking as much as I would like that, you know, the, 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 the I, for me, I just call it a ridgeline hoodie, which I don't know that that's what we're calling it. Yeah. But right. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Ridgeline half zip hoodie is the, the full name. I think, yeah. it, you know, everybody's making, what I'll say is everybody's making good stuff now. Like not everybody, but there's, there's a few brands that everybody's making at your, at that level, you're making good stuff. I think for born primitive, you know, the big difference that, that I always call out is, is the fit. And I think that's they've done so well on the athletic side, having that athletic fit to have performance and be able to perform and not lose some integrity in other areas has been really big in how we're designing some of this gear. And Aaron, you've you've done a great job designing it and working with Frankie and and that crew. And I think now that the team's getting a little bigger and we're getting out in the field more and everybody's getting to do stuff, I think it's really coming together nice. Yeah. And I I would just do like the only other product call outs would be that we we have the women's frontier pant uh mm-hmm. coming out and as well as uh, the women's trail pant which is kind of like a, a lighter weight uh yeah lighter duty um lower price point pant uh for the females um and then we have a couple new colorways coming out with the frontier 
pants. We got black and gray, and then we got some two tones for the pants, uh, and then a couple of different colorways for the uh, quiver, that grid fleece top um, coming out. So, you know, pretty excited about those, um, and we're, we're continuing our product development and, and improving the products that we currently have, and that, and that product process is ongoing. And we got some. I'm really excited this this fall. We got some new products coming out that we want to release in 2024. That we're going to do some hard TNE on uh, this fall. Uh, so that we get get you guys like the best performing gear you can you, your money can buy. Yeah, no, I'm excited, and it's a good crew. That's another thing. Like uh, the crew we have is like really cool that you don't find that a lot. Like not not. I mean, everybody is super cool. Like the kind of guy or or gal you'd want to go hang and drink with, which is awesome. So that's that's another kind of big bonus. Obviously, Bear puts a ton into Veterans Foundations, things like that, which is cool as well. So. Well, we're at two hours and fucking 15 minutes. That's wild. Um, All right. I'm sure some of us have to pee. I already did. But um, I appreciate you guys hopping on Um, as well. Appreciate your service, Kurt. And uh, everybody wish Kurt a congratulations. He's retiring in two months. Two months. Technically now because you got two months of leave. I know. That's true. Yeah. But you're either way. Um, How many? 20 years in? 20 years. Gotcha. So everybody, thank Kurt uh, as well as the other crew members over there for their service. And uh, thank you guys for coming on the podcast. It's been good. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for man. having us, man. Yeah. Yeah.